Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's time for a completely unnecessary podcast for Wednesday, October 7th, 2015, alongside my compadre, Ian Ferguson. Hello. I'm Pat Contry. We've got a fun show for you today. Lots of retro gaming topics, uh, modern gaming stuff. Always GameStop in the news all the time, but we're not going to be discussing their retro game fallop of the week, though. Uh, we're talking about the retro VGS uh, post-mortem uh, because they, they're canceling the the Indiegogo, or at least trying to. Uh, we're talking about the follow-up to the Super Nintendo CD PlayStation prototype. What's going on with that? Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Square Enix canceling their controversial Augment Your Pre-Order program. That sounds disgusting, just me saying it. The Meth Genesis story. Uh, GameStop and other retailers relying on used sales, uh, used sales of Steam boxes. Used sales, I can't even say that topic name. Did I write that one down? Uh, the unreleased N64 shmup. Hate saying that. Shmup selling for three thousand on awful eBay. Word. It's shoot 'em up. Come on. It's shooter or shooter. Uh, Nine sixty four collection complete in box on eBay. Kevin Feige responding to Steven Spielberg. A Watchmen HBO series. What? And your Q and A. What's going on? How are your gains doing from the gym? Ian? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know what that word meant. Uh, someone used it in a tweet the other day, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what it means. Um, it, gains. Uh, I lost five pounds um, in the month since I started, month and a week, um, which was cool. Um, while I don't have a lot to show, you know, I, I just I feel I have more stamina, um, and I, I just I feel better. So, I mean, my whole thing is I'm not trying to I don't I'm not trying to impress anyone. If I look better, that's great. But the fact is, I'm, I feel better, and uh, that's the number one thing I was going for. So, that's that's well, lovely. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's people don't realize that. You know, usually when you work out, you feel better because your body's somewhat functioning more the way it should. If you're if you haven't exercised in a long time, or it regulates, helps yeah. regulate. You know, it's not just to look better; it's to feel better. And that's always you know? why I went. I just always screwed up my back and couldn't go back, and I lost the momentum. So, a trainer this time has been helping me strengthen the core in my back so that that doesn't happen and I can keep it up. So yeah, that's, what, that's what Ian said. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, in my gym news, this would be the gym segment. Um, <laughs> the my, new, the, the new every two week gym segment. Yeah, I've, you know, uh, my my hand's been. I, I think I told about. I think I broke my hand in two places. Um, I, I, at least one place it was broken, but maybe two. Um, and of course, I continue to use it on the heavy bag for like three days afterwards. So I'm a fucking idiot. And that's how I always am with my body. Oh, I'm a guy. I'm I'm impervious to whatever. I'm invulnerable. Um, but it's finally to the point where I can hit the heavy bag without it being in grimacing pain. Um, so that's good, because I, I miss using the heavy bag. It works off the extra steam at the end of the workout. I enjoy it. That's fine, you know. Back in the dating scene, which is always fucking awful, but that's a whole other conversation. You, know, you forget about when you're when you're with someone for a long time, that you don't have to worry about like trying to find people to date. And that alone is just you know, crushes your soul. 
when you do that, but that's all the conversation. I don't want to get into The problem much. is I think you started the last <laughs> podcast like this, so I imagine many listeners being like, okay, they're talking about the gym, Pat's talking about dating life. Did I download the wrong, the wrong Did podcast? I talk about dating life last time? I'm almost positive I never did, go into yes. the details, though. I, I, I just remember, I, I seem to remember you saying something about how, like, you know, when you get used to it, you know, the, the having Used to being with someone, someone, you don't have to yeah. worry about it? Yeah. But that is the one the one big advantage of it, is you don't have to worry about it. I mean, you've, you've had this conversation with me before about it, too. Um, it, it's just, you don't have to worry about it. But whatever, I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll want to get out there. But the good news is that stuff is keeping me busy that I actually don't have time even to really go out that much. It's a book. The book is uh, getting worked on, and the actual contents like that's going to be in the book's all finalized. It's just me compiling it right now. I'm dropping in the three thousand screenshots into the into the book. That's that's fun, but I'm, it's more than halfway done with that. Then at that point, it's putting together oh details of the book because at this point, no one's going to steal the idea because well, write quickly if you're going to. But I got to do the PAL exclusive section. There's like thirty four or thirty five PAL exclusives. I don't count Probotector. But I found out from good old Jim Evans, who's writing a section, that I did not know that the Rainbow Islands uh, Palo is, com- is a completely different game than the one in the U.S. Did not know that. So he, he pointed it out to me, so that's going to be in the book. Hmm. Did not know that. It's like a, it's like a more of a traditional platformer versus like going straight up, I think. Interesting. So, hell, I learned something from my book. Um, so there's an HES section. There's only about 10 exclusive HES games. Most of the HES games came out as uh, ACG games, American Cartridge, uh, American Cartridge Game Inc. games here, or they came out um, as, uh, I think, I think Color Dreams. But there's about 10. There's a Penguin game, though. Woo! And a Pipe Mania is one. Um, and then I'm still debating, well, I'm debating to put a couple other sections in. I talked to you about it. I can probably cut it off at some point. I mean, But the supplemental material is going to be great. You're going to have uh, material from James Rolfe. Uh, Frank Cifaldi is on board. Uh, Blake Harris, author of Console Wars, is doing the foreword. I'm going to include a couple of things that I've wrote, written before. Um, Brent Black, Brennel Floss, uh, Norm the Gaming Historian, Pixel Dan. They're all there. I'm probably missing someone. Uh, Karen, who's also writing some of the reviews uh, for, the, uh, for the book. So it's going to be fun if I finish it. And then hopefully, hopefully in October, I think that the it, it's going to be a Kickstarter most likely if it if it, if they allow it. I don't see why they wouldn't, but I think to, I think there's an approval process on Kickstarter. I don't think you can just stuff launch stuff right away. I don't know. I never used Kickstarter before, but it'll be a Kickstarter. It'll be a digital version and published version. There you go. That's more information. It's probably the last you're going to hear about it until I actually launch it. So we're going to Portland Retro Gaming Expo, October 17th and 18th. Uh, I'm doing two panels. Ian's getting off light with one. We're going to do a CU podcast panel. You can, you can, I guess you can help me on Sunday with the, with no. the challenge. Okay, no. no. Uh, so we'll do the CU podcast uh, panels on Saturday. We've got prime time. I think it's like two, 1 or 2 in the afternoon, I think. Yeah. Something like that. It's, that's, that's not a bad time. And then mine, I think, is like 11 on Sunday morning. I have to check. Um, so check your local listings for time. And we'll have a booth and we'll sell our wares. And DVDs, and you know, maybe make pins. I don't know, or selling his extra games. Yeah, I'll be bringing extra games. As a matter of fact, I'll be bringing a large part of my uh, the, the large, a large chunk of the rest of my Nintendo collection will be. I'll, I'll sell off there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would have. I liked doing my pinball panel a lot, and I would do it again. But in Portland, that's preaching to the choir. I mean, that's oh. that's that's pinball city. There's no reason for me to go up there and do a pinball panel. People would be interested, but um, I, I would be, well, and, and this is just a fear of public speaking, I would be judged a lot more harshly 
in Portland than so? I would have You wouldn't been. get away with the, the bullshit? <laughs> well, I didn't really bullshit, but anything... Well, thing? I, think, I think if you were doing it in Portland, you probably would have to go in with at least two other people to... You know, because the, the space is more limited sure. in, in, in Portland. Oh, I'm doing a third panel. I forgot. I'm, I will be returning to the Retro Game Roadshow with my pals Steve Lynn, Frank Cifaldi, and Chris Kohler. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of, I sort of started out as an injured reserve member of the Retro Game Roadshow. Then I worked my way up to being like a, I guess, a regular cast member, sort of like a feature Saturday Night Live player. Was just featuring. You know, you show up. Then two years later, so that's Saturday at like four thirty. That, that should be fun. Chris and Frank yeah. are super neat. I love those guys. Chris is a, one of the toughest negotiators that I've met besides myself for, for games. And last year, we worked out a deal that took two days of negotiating for me to get my Buster Douglas Sega Master System. That was two years ago. My Buster, Buster <laughs> Douglas Sega Master System with the with the no manual in the box and then a bunch of manuals. I got a great deal on it. But it was like literally next to me in the booth over the course of a day and a half. Just slow negotiation back and forth. We're like uh, oil sheiks, both of us. And the NES Punk is returning. I wrote a script. I'm going to shoot it tomorrow. On Thursday, after yoga, that's always good post-yoga shooting. That'll come out, and I'll probably try to do a Halloween video. And in terms of the NES Marathon, uh, I don't want to announce anything yet. Uh, tentatively, it'll happen in November, but I want to get the book shit squared away first before I work and concentrate on it, because already I'm like blacking out during the day with this stuff going on. So um, so we wanted to do a post-mortem I guess. Hey, I have my anniversary coming up this goddamn week. That's not the postmortem I want. Oh, Ian's no. anniversary's on there. I'm excited, jackass. Oh, okay. No, it's been a busy week. Last week was Vonnie's. Last weekend was Vonnie's birthday, and this weekend is our anniversary. And next weekend, we go to Ret- uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's funny. They say a year goes fast, and it sure does. Um, How, how's married life treating you? Well, see, I fucking hate that question. <laughs> I feel like he asked me that on purpose. Um, no, the thing about married life is. I personally feel like is um, nothing changes, and if too much changes, you you probably did it for the wrong reasons. Okay. Um, because what would change? I mean, we dated for tax info, huh? Your taxes? Yeah, right? yeah. Okay, fine. If you if you want me to be health like insurance changes, dry like that, sure. But nothing, nothing, well, nothing well, relationship wise. Well, 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 that's good though because that's the way it should be. But then I would argue. And this is why more less and less people are getting married now because there's less of a reason to get married at this point. Sure. Than there used to be. I don't know, man. I, I, I always knocked around whether or not I I wanted to get married and it was just it it was a thing that happened. It was not something that I set out to do, but I decided that I would ask her to marry me and you know what? It made her parents happy and my parents happy and we had a great time and uh, I mean I don't regret that. But yes, I don't think that marriage is something that every relationship needs to aspire for because why not just stay together? I mean, yeah, just a loop. Yeah, I mean, but but you know, you get your tax benefits and shit like that. So I'm excited. Well, you can um, still file join a, join a household without getting married. I don't think but that's sure. that's for Ian past tax advice yeah. segment. We can do that. So which I'm, which I'm starting to learn more about uh, with with uh, running this stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, so. Real, real no, I don't know if this will be quick or not, but I'll I'm, I'll I'll start this as it says well, on, the, say, on the sheet. Yeah, but we'd like to follow up since the retro VGS uh, campaign sort of uh, been halted, even though the Indiegogo campaign can't be stopped. So we'll start with that. The retro VGS, which we talked about last podcast, is was to be, and may still be, um, a video game system that, at this point, I can't really say what it was aiming forever. 
because it changed a lot. But it was going to be a new video game system that utilized cartridges to somehow eliminate the imperfections of modern-day game design with bugs and things like that. Um, the campaign failed miserably, uh, only raising, I don't think, ever breaking 12% of what it was trying to raise. It didn't get, the, I think, 4%. Oh, was, okay, maybe it was 3%. I, it, it raised 65000 at its height, and then it started to dial backwards and people realized that things were going wrong. We got a considerable amount of grief from that team uh, for our dissection of the campaign. Uh, very unprofessionally. Hold on. I'm fucking hammered right now. Okay, now I see the tone you're establishing for the segment, Ian. <laughs> I can make I can make a joke. <laughs> Anyways, it's called a joke. That's not that's not an established tone. Whew. Anyways, um, we were called drunkards uh, for um, basically dissecting it, and I mean we didn't have a whole lot good to say about it because quite frankly there wasn't a lot of information out. And why would you why would you back any sort of uh, crowdfunding that's, campaign without without a lot of info? We we were called. Let's just say we were we weren't called drunken. In any e- private email or even a private Twitter message, it was publicly on the Retro VGS Facebook page. We have to say that. Surprisingly, at least to me, well, I'm not surprised that this was uh, that that people f- fought back against that, and they did, calling it very unprofessional. Because if you are selling a product, you can't do that. You need to present yourself in a professional manner. Because you need people to think that you are going to be selling a professional-grade product. Um, what surprised me, perhaps, was how many people latched onto that. And I mean, us, as well as the Atari Age Forum and uh, Kevtris, became the targets of a lot of the retro VGS ire. Um, which was interesting, because... They were placing the blame, uh, the failure yes. of, their, of their product and, and campaign on, on the, In, the, the detractors. Instead of addressing major issues, they simply went out of their way to, um, you know, try to cut down the critics that they had. So, I mean, one of the main problems was they did not have a prototype. However, about three or four days after criticism of the campaign... And they've always said they 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 said this is probably they said they needed like what was it like six figures to make a prototype. All of a sudden, after all this backlash, uh, I guess one of the three participants of the uh, Indiegogo campaign, John Carlson, all of a sudden puts out a very strange two-minute video showing the retro V some sort of board of some type inside a shell of the Atari Jaguar because it's not a retro V just yet; it's a Atari Jaguar shell. And then hooked up to a monitor, and you can't really see what it is. So, it just was... The entire thing was strange, just because they said they didn't have a prototype. One of the reasons why they couldn't use Kickstarter. Now, we need all this money to make a prototype. And then three years after the campaign launches, people complain there's no prototype. All of a sudden, John Carlson has a prototype. So, either they had the prototype all along, and, and were lying about it, or this is actually worse... Carlson had a prototype and was communicating that to, to Mike, the head of the team. So th- this is just what, bizarre. What happened was the, um, uh, the, 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 the smart people at the Atari Age Forum, um, they donned their Sherlock caps and grabbed their bubble pipes. and Got their magnifying glass? Yes. 
And, uh, I mean, well, actually, that might almost be true. Uh, they determined that it was uh, off-the-shelf uh, development boards. So, basically, uh, I mean, if you watch the video, he simply moves a, a, a window around. I mean, there's no demo yeah. of a game, no usage of the controller. It's just a couple of off-the-shelf development boards underneath the top half of a translucent shell. And that was supposed to satiate people. The problem with it was is that it it made matters worse. It raised far more questions than it answered. And the ones I just had. Yeah, right. it, it raised... Exactly. It raised far more questions than it answered. And um, I, this is not to speak ill of, uh, of the guy, because I don't know him, but John Carlson did not come off particularly great in that video. Now, maybe... I mean, I'm an introvert. Maybe he is. But whatever it was, it just... That was not the right way to tackle it. Um, he took a, a, a swipe at, uh, I believe, Kevtris in that video. Um, and it was just... Yeah, all around, that was... That, I think, was more the nail in the coffin uh, for for this current campaign than anything else. Now, I do say nail in the coffin for this current campaign because when they said that they were pulling the plug. They can't officially pull the plug unless Indiegogo breaks their own rules for them. Once the campaign has raised any amount of money, you cannot cancel the campaign, meaning that even though they have divorced themselves from this campaign, it will stay It'll up run there. for the rest of the... What is We're at 40 days left or 38, whatever It should it be 30-something. It'll run for the rest of its course. Uh, but they said they're going to be back. Now, will it succeed if it returns? I'm going to try to be a little bit positive here. And I don't think I... Other than... My joke, because God, I'm hammered. Um, I don't think if they come out with a clear vision of this and they say that they're simply making a cartridge-based system that's going to run uh, these indie titles or whatever, uh, or they do something with an FFPGA, uh, and they have a prototype, this very well could be a hobbyist thing. The problem, I think, is I think that the team behind it spent all their goodwill. Regardless of what this next phase is, if there is a next phase, if these same faces are behind it, I think that it's going... Even if they show a great product, it's not going to work because of the ill will towards them. Well, you're going to have the people that bought in the first time, which is about, what was about 170 people or so. I think total, like, pl- pl- at, 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 at its height. About yes. 170 pledged to get the console. About, whatever, 20, 25 pledged to get the, the, the off-the-shelf controller or whatever. Um, so, you're looking at, for this to be successful, they, they would have to have sold, I think it was something around 670 consoles, which is what I think the would have had them reach their goal. Or, no, I think it was 6,000. It was 6,600 yeah, 6, 6, and something. That ain't happening. That's a bigger user base than the Wii U has. That <laughs> anyway, <laughs> too much alcohol. <laughs> so um, that wouldn't have happened, even if the price was slashed in half, and even if there was a reason to buy this. I hate to say that. Like if there was like, if you had if, maybe if you had like like outstanding games you couldn't get anywhere else. The, like that would even be a tough way, tough sort of way to reach it. You know, like like the, the Ouya was ninety nine dollars, right? And you had. All the games that could be that's, on that. Like, that's gamble-worthy, right yeah. Right there. You know, I mean, even people who are skeptical could look at something that was ah, 100, 100 bucks. bucks it, it, sure, 300 is not a gamble. Um, well, it is well, some people, but yeah. I mean, 100, three, I mean, 100 is not a gamble. 100 is not a gamble. 300 is... 350 is a gamble. Yes. And 
I, 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 this was not my quote. Um, this was someone I, I saw it somewhere. So this is not my line, but I, I loved it so much, and I don't know why it wasn't said more. The retro VGS was a classic case of a solution in search of a problem. I would agree. There was no problem. There, there was, was no, no problem. need for it. No, uh, it's not like people were 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 just sitting around saying, "I want to be able to buy ten dollar games in a sixty dollar cartridge." And then I can't update them or get free DLC. No one was saying that. No. That was like, you know, I don't think I had a conversation at any Retro Gaming Expo where people were just saying, damn it, I wish that I wish that existed. So, that said, if you come back with this product, um, you have to lo- you're going to have a lot to answer for if all of a sudden your $2 million goal all of a sudden becomes 500000 or even 100000 People are going to be like, well, why was it so much money before? That, that would be the first natural thing to say. Right. Or if you do some sort of radical change and the price comes down, they're going to be like, well, again, why wasn't it that cheap before? So you, it's, it's hard. I, like I said, it's, it's tough to see someone's business venture fail, regardless of sh- pot shots taken at us. Yeah. And again, we're just pundits. We're not journalists. We give opinions. We, we have some news thrown in, but we're just pundits. We call them as we see them. I'm just a jackass. You're just drunk. You're All just the time. Drunk. Just constantly. Time. Um, so it won't succeed if it returns. Um, because this was a, pro- a product again, like you just said, no one asked for it, right? And so, which isn't to said you can't make money all, off of the, the venture already in some f- weird form, but for what they, well, what the goal is, I just don't see it happening. Here's the thing: for them to turn it into something that I think would be something that people would want to mess around with, something that was more open source or hackable, well, then you're entering the area of things that already exist. Like a Retron 5. A retro, well, a Retron 5 or a Raspberry Pi. Raspberry or, Pi. Or even a, to, I mean, a Steam machine. Steam machine. To, to a degree. Which are all the cheap, a lot cheaper or the same price, and you can do a lot more with them. Right. So that's the issue. If you, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if cartridge fetishism is, is your thing, and you can put a cartridge in and update it. Cool. There might be a market for that if it's at the right price. And you can get your campaign down to a low enough level. Um, but it's going to be niche. The dreams of upending the consoles, I mean, upending yeah. the console market, it's not going to happen. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to realize that this is a hobbyist market that you're trying to enter. And... I mean, that's the other thing. I don't even think this is necessarily a collector's market, which is what they were shooting for. Their end goal here needs to be something along the lines of a hobbyist market, a, 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 a programmer's market. And like I said, the problem is, is other than branding on it, there's already plenty of things that those types of people can use. Sure. So um, we'll report on it if it comes back. Otherwise, less more shots are taken. And hey, I could. Uh, one of the, I, I'll just comment this real quick, and we'll move on. Uh, Mike sent me a couple emails. I'm not going to say exactly what was in all of them, but you know, one of the, one of his complaints was that he could have uh, come on the show and spoken about the product. We don't do interviews. We had all the information we thought we needed right in the campaign, and I spoke to Mike the whatever it was the two weeks prior for about 15 minutes. I came on Expo in Arizona. I asked him all the questions I needed to then, and I kept out some information that could be somewhat embarrassing if I revealed it. So I didn't even reveal all the information that was told to me, some of the grandiose things that were said to me, some of the things that I think could have been fabricated uh, looking back, and I haven't spoken about that. I'm trying to remain somewhat professional, 
And so it would behoove a team like this to be professional as well, and that's all I'm going to say about it. The other thing that's worth mentioning is um, not only do we not do interviews or have guests, but uh, there were interviews after the fact, some softer and some harder than others, and there, the questions were never really answered. So nothing would have been gained from that. Nothing would have changed. Speaking of odd hardware that we don't know what to make of, so the um, you know the Super Nintendo PlayStation, it's been very uh, the it's been very quiet uh, on this front. The 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 the, um, the uh, rumored prototype that was discovered in an attic of the uh, partnership between Sony and Nintendo. Um, it the guy who owns it has resurfaced, and they are going to be showing it off. Um, at a uh, retro expo in Hong Kong. Retro HK. I've now, never heard of this. I'm interested for a couple of reasons. One, I'm just interested to know more about this and see what's going on. Uh, and they say that they will be, I don't know if, uh, if it's opening up, but they will be looking to see actually what it contains, what's inside, and if there's any working hardware left, and if anything will run on it. My question is, why not... Stupid long hair. Why not a like a premier uh, U.S. retro expo like uh, well Portland, Portland for one. Um, yeah, I, I don't yeah. I don't understand why you would fly this out to Hong Kong. You have guys like Frank Cifaldi, Steve Lynn. You have other guys that uh, Bunny Boy from Retro USB. These are people that are totally qualified. And would know, be to frothing look. to get their hands on yeah. it and check it out. They're here in the U.S. You could ship it to them with like you know hand deliver. You know, uh, $50,000, you know, insurance on it. This, I'm not saying something's going to happen to this system, but traveling, getting it through customs, going it overseas, that just, it just scares me for worst case scenarios that you're putting it even at a slight risk before getting it, you know, at a transcontinental flight. You know, it's just me a little, just, it gets me a teeny bit uneasy. Well, and furthermore, just a teeny bit. I just, I don't actually think there's anything up here. I don't think there's anything sneaky. No, no, I, I just, I just don't know why. Yeah, I just don't. Uh, he could have, yeah. Th- this, this could have been looked at already, obviously, by someone. Someone could, so, with, with the amount of hype around this, someone could have flew out to him, and and would want to look at it, you know, and sort of test it and open it up. It's just taking the shell off and you know, getting out your little, you know, testing the voltage on everything. I don't know anything about about the technical side, but there's a procedure here. Is what I'm saying. I'm not qualified to do it. Other people are. There's a beverage here. Um, anyways, <laughs> careful, man. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that the going to Hong Kong thing is is, is questionable. But I am curious as to why this has taken so long and why. Well, if he doesn't need, the, if he, he already said he doesn't want to sell it or doesn't need to sell it at this point, because you know, sure. once he once you field offers that are probably ten or twenty thousand, you realize oh, those offers will always be there. So, you know, maybe he's thinking, I don't know if he's thinking that it'll be verified, even though it, it looks pretty damn real to everyone that well, I've spoken to, uh, you know, so maybe it's just to show it off. And he said he was never really, um, he was never really into games either, which might explain some of his lack of interest to really find it out. All I can say is if I found this in my parents' attic, I, I mean, I would have, I, I, w- I would have been begging someone to come take a look at it. Now, I'm not saying that that makes it weird because if you're not into games, that would be like me finding a vintage baseball card. You, you still know, realize I, it's important. I didn't realize it was important, but I wouldn't be in a hurry necessarily to get it appraised or whatever. So maybe it's the same sort of thing for him. Either way, 
for all of us who are interested, I really hope we get to see something from. Well, this. I'm guessing they're they're at least helping him pay his airfare and hotel, if not paying him to show this off, because it's probably going to be a huge draw at this convention. I would sure hope so. Well, also, maybe that's why he's doing it. Maybe they offered him a good chunk of money. Maybe they're like, "Hey, we need a draw here. We're a fledgling yeah. convention in a place that normally doesn't have them." So I, that's that's a potential reason as well. Okay, so this is going to be held. It's, oh, it's a fair. So it's going to be held the 20th of November to December 13th. That's not a convention. That's a fair. That's like a two-week event. Oh, that's crazy. I've never heard of that. That, that sounds actually ins- sounds like fun. You want to go? Let's, yeah. let's go. <laughs> let's do it. I got my passport. Let's just go find uh, ourselves so, a uh, prototype of So something. this is the first ever retro gaming fair in Hong Kong. I have no idea what the market is for retro gaming in Hong Kong. I have no idea. Um, the prototype will be on display for all to see. Uh, this is in the description of the video. Please be sure to visit the Retro HK Facebook page that is linked below. A huge thanks to Dixon and our sponsors, HMV Restart Workshop, and especially the Golden Brothers of HK Golden. So it's sponsors. So, all right. So uh, it'll be interesting. I, I would hope at some point, though, this thing has to get open up and documented. And I hope they found that RAM cart and you know whatever else. And right. If it's a RAM cart, maybe something else. I don't know. Sure. So it's an interesting story. Um, I, I think this will be sold at some point. I just think it will. I think it will, and I, I I hope it is. I mean, if if he doesn't have interest in it, I would like to see it in the hands of someone like, say, Steve Lynn, who will give it to the museum right away. Give it a good, yeah. But, well, he will, but like, give it a good home. Yeah. Yes. I want to talk about how disgusting and gross modern video games have become for a moment. Um, now, first of all, yes, this has been canceled. Uh, and this was announced a few days ago that they canceled it finally. So this is no longer happening, but it's still worth looking at. It's still filthy. It's still worth looking at uh, in terms of how far they will go. And it's a nice example of consumers pushing back. So, uh, Deus Ex, uh, Mankind Divided, was uh, is going to be a sequel uh, in the long-running and well-loved Deus Ex uh, franchise. Uh, popularized on the PC. Um to get people supposedly excited for this, they uh, released a... They, they decided that they were going to do a tiered pre-order program. Now, let me explain to you how fucking awful this is. The first tier already starts unlocked. Thank heavens! And But the first tier, you still have to make a choice between one pre-order bonus or another. So that's how this works. You pre-order, you get one choice of one item or another. And the winner would win out for everyone. Whoever the no, it was just, you, you just, you just okay. get it. So you can't get both. Well, not that way. So then, uh, after a certain number of people pre-ordered, um, the uh, the uh, the next tier would open up, which then would allow people to choose between an art book or a soundtrack, um, an exclusive in-game side mission, uh, a digital comic book, or a novella. Uh, and then the final tier would have moved the game's release date up four days. What? What? Four days. What? Yes, four days. I feel like this is a WWE event right now. What? Um, but you could also secure all of these pre-order bonuses for you for yourself if you wanted to pay a hundred and forty dollars, more than double what the game will retail for. You could get it all. This is fucking disgusting. Um. Here's, I mean, if, if, if it's not immediate, I mean, it's disgusting on a base level. 
Um, because you still don't get everything, even if these tiers are open, and, you, and you're just pre-ordering it because, hey, I want to support your game, I like your game, thanks for not fucking me over. Um, but the other issue is, this is designed to churn out pre-orders. What do pre-orders guarantee? They guarantee a sale. Well, you can cancel your pre-orders, but for the most part, bear with me, people, let's not do semantics. Um, this is a guaranteed sale. What a guaranteed sale means, why do people want a shitload of pre-orders? Why do companies want a shitload of pre-orders? Because that means even if their game sucks and gets horrible reviews, they've already got the money in their pockets and they are laughing at you. So you get a novella and some skins and a soundtrack and a a four-day early release date uh, for a shitty, potentially broken game uh, that's 60 bucks. And this is how they bait you in. It's not even a good carrot. It's a carrot that's spotty and inflexible. Well, I'm glad that the consumers fought back because, uh, for the most part, what we see in the past with stuff like Assassin's Creed is that they just bend over and take it and pre-order and pre-order. They don't care because they don't think. Right. They don't vote with their wallet. Um, yeah, this is this is a, uh, speaking of bending over, this is a, a backdoor, you know, crowdfunding campaign through pre-order, which makes it even weirder. Look, in fact, but it's already funded. It, yeah, it's, so it's literally it's, just a, a money grab. It, yeah, well, yeah. But it's like, oh, we have tier levels for our game that... We can make this shit anyway. I'm sure the digital art book's already done. Pre-order you the game I mean? and tell all your friends, and the, when they the, pre-order, you'll get this too. Yeah. It's 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 almost a pyramid scheme. I want to see what the tiers are, just to see like, oh, if we do a million pre-orders, you get the free digital comic. That... Yeah, I haven't actually seen anything on the numbers, but it, no, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. I mean, there's one thing about DLC, but this is like, you know, forced partial DLC. With re- with re- referral non bonuses thrown into your friends, it's like the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. It's like they should be paying me to refer my friends. I should be getting a cut of it if I get my friends to sign. Well, you are being paid. That? You're getting some costumes, man. And so, <laughs> so this was Square Enix' response to that, to the backlash when it was first conceived. We w- we wanted the program to give you more choice about what you received in terms of pre order and how about no choice? You just get everything because we've seen in the past that when we choose those packages ourselves and split them across regions, it has caused frustration. We quickly noticed that this approach created even more frustration than before, resulting in a resounding amount of negative feedback. Here's the thing, guys. You just... the fu- this, this is so beautiful in terms of how fucked up games are. That quote, because uh, we choose the packages ourselves, right? Um, you, you t- Tell you what, just give everyone the pre-order bonus. Don't make two and make them choose. You're acting like you're doing them a favor. Just give them both. And you know what? Because you split across regions, why? Don't split it across regions. Give everyone the same fucking yeah. package. You want, or, or you give someone the, the $60 one and you get the fucking digital art book and then you have the Ultra 140 and that's it. Which has been what's going on with these stupid collector's editions. Uh, for ages. Call yeah. of Duty always does it. They do a standard version, yeah. a slightly non-standard version with like a, an art book or a steelbook yeah. case, and then they do a version with a fucking remote control car with a camera attached to it. That might be sitting in my trunk still. Yeah, I think it might be. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I mean, I, the, the, it's the illusion of choice and I, I just... This, this, this sh- quote is such bullshit. It's, it's, it's like they didn't even try to defend themselves with this quote because it's indefensible. Just stop going for the shitty bric-a-brac. Stop going for the fucking shitty $5 Batmobile that they're charging you 40 more bucks for when you buy the next arc. Just just stop. Here's an idea. Release a fucking complete game, and I'll buy it day one. 
having nose complete and, and bug free. Well, you just tell the developers <laughs> to do that. Um, <laughs> you tell the developers to do that, yeah. and it will be. And it will be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I pre-order things from time to time, things that I think are going to be hard for me to get a hold of later if I want them, or a game that I'm just generally convinced is going to be good, like Mario Maker, and I want to get it day one. I'll just I'll pre-order it. That way I don't have to worry about it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll Well, my pre-order system is... Trig, get me that game. <laughs> but, you know, I make sure I get some games day one. Uh, but stuff like this, most AAA games, especially with, with previous years, I would never do that. Never. And, and, and no amount of free bullshit costumes or or Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator in WWE 2K16 really? is going to make me pre-order the game. Is that really an exclusive? Yes. So it went from Sting last year to... Arnold Schwarzenegger as a two wrestler? Two versions. Two versions. What, what versions? Like uh, T-800 and something else. 84 version to 2015? Maybe. Um, and the thing is, is that game actually looks good, but that's a whole different topic. Well, every year they look good, but people can always complain that they take out stuff and 15 whatever. was a mess. Let me go back to 2004. That was a great one. <sighs> All right. So there's a story about a man named Jared Fournier, who in Georgia... Um, turned in a Genesis, and this is somewhat old news, but I don't want to hear any crying, um, that was had uh, crystal methamphetamine inside the cartridge slot. You were turning it to a pawn shop. Yeah, trying to sell it to a, a pawn, pawn shop. shop. With meth. Now, they were checking it out. Uh, they actually opened the cartridge slot, which i got to admit is more than most pawn shops do. So good on them. And they found uh, crystal meth in there, and, they, uh, and, and they, they called the cops, and the guy was arrested. And it's funny, because I've found weird things inside uh, consoles before. And uh, honestly, when I was in high school, uh, I used to hide my drugs inside consoles, because it is a good place to hide them. The little the little thing underneath a Nintendo that the clips out. Port? Yeah. Oh, I used to hide my 10 strips in there all the time. So, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I see candy inside consoles. I see coins all the time. Uh, I found a cheap ring inside a console once. I've never found drugs, but you find stories, you know, people say they found money in a console or something like that. But finding drugs in a console, I just, it's, 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 because I work in an area where there's a lot of tweakers, and this is specifically about crystal meth, um, it's very funny to me that that's how this uh, occurred, because crystal meth addicts don't think straight. I I would honestly, I would wager that if a pot smoker had hid weed in his Genesis, he'd go to sell it to get Cheetos or something delicious and he'd be like, oh, uh, there's an eighth of marijuana in there. I should probably take that out. Okay, good. The Crystal Meth user is not going to remember that. I mean, they're addicts, but they're just so freaking gone. It makes me just, yeah, who is he hiding it from? Is he at home with a family, hiding it from his roommate? Yeah, it doesn't give himself. It doesn't give the age. I'd love to know his, 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 obviously, if you're doing Crystal Meth, your state of mind is not good to begin with. No, it makes you very, very paranoid. So he could have been hiding it from people who don't exist. So, good on the pawn shop for not trying to sell it. Yeah, pawn in the meth. I mean, I so it. I mean, it's a tiny story, but I just I wanted to bring it up because, it. it I mean, things get found in consoles all the time, and in consoles have they've reported I think drugs in consoles before, um, but it was never when someone was selling it. It was you know there was a raid and they find drugs inside a console or something. It was never someone voluntarily trying to get rid of a Genesis and leaving their drugs inside the system. What's a ten strip, by the way? I never heard that expression. Ten hits of acid in a single strip that you have to cut up. Oh. Remember what Frank said about acid? 
I don't remember what Frank said about well, it. Oh, he's got good. He's a guy to go to for advice or answers. Well, I, well I, nowadays, unless you know who made it, you stay the fuck away. From oh it. well, yeah, I know that. Jesus yeah. Christ, but I, I don't do it anymore. I don't have the time. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm glad it's a time thing and not it can mess me up. Really bad decision. I don't have the time to do acid. Acid's pretty safe. Anyway, again, if you know what it is, yes, I know. So, <laughs> anyways, that was probably the strange response that, that for you it's not so strange, but I don't have the time to do acid. I as, don't. As, as the excuse. It's like a two-day thing. Uh, I mean, nice. you need you got a day doing it, and then you need a day of recovery. Um, I have a life. I'm not in high school anymore. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway. Well, I need less of a life so I can drop ass again. <laughs> no, I, I don't want that. I'm just simply saying I can't do it anymore. Jesus Christ. So, just another little interesting tidbit. GameStop and other retailers that sell used games... And constantly, I mean, admit, I mean, their whole business models are, are, are used games, um, are going to be selling uh, Steam boxes. And I'm going to use the word GameStop less in this because people always think, uh, you know, I'm terrified of GameStop or some shit. So we'll just say Game and Best Buy and other places that are going to be selling these that make money off of used games. It's interesting to me to see um, these companies selling something that will only play games that they cannot get money for, that they cannot sell back. And from what I understand, there is an exclusivity deal where these will be sold through these outlets only for a short period of time. So, to me, this looks like one of those short-sighted, let's make quick money now while we can, but you're going to lose it in the long run. Now, these are going to take off one way or another, but it's like shooting yourself in the... It's just, why would you help that? Well I, well, I think if people are going to buy these, they're going to buy these. So yes, they're going to. Why not make the money off it? You know what I mean? I mean, basically, it's like selling a computer. A steam machine is just like a computer, right? For the most part. Yes. So if you sell a computer, you sell a steam machine. You're not making money off of used computer game sales. So what's you know what's the difference? Well, GameStop doesn't sell computers. But so that's what I'm saying. It's weird for them to get into this market. And well, like I they're said, gonna they're going to have to diversify the way to, to stay in business. You're right. If they, whether it's selling mobile, or selling tablets, I think some stores are selling tablets or cell phones or whatever. For a long time, they've been taking in phones and tablets. So long time. that's the way to survive is to, to diversify because uh, the used games are going away eventually. We talked about that. And I think they, downloads. I think they sell them through different outlets. So maybe that's something that they could move into a different outlet and get some money from. It's just, I don't know. It's odd and. What's is it odd to you just because you wouldn't be used to seeing a Steam machine in, in a GameStop, or because they they don't know anything about it, or because it's so outside of their sort of realm? It's it's to just begin with it, it, it for all of those reasons, but also because we just talked about two weeks ago a very fresh article where they said that they're not going to bundle digital copies anymore because they need the they want the physical copies mm-hmm. because their business relies on trade-ins and now they're selling a new maybe, console that's not going to give them anything. Well, like maybe that. they see this as something totally separate that. This is to them a new product that doesn't. You know what I mean? They're trying to sell gift cards as well, like Steam gifts, gift cards. Which I guess if you bundle it, but are people even? Here's GameStop's problem: they're not known for this at all. And anytime no. you just like the way Radio Shack they shot themselves in the foot by not focusing on home electronics anymore and try to sell cell phones. People don't think of Radio Shack and cell phones. They think of oh, I need I need audio hardware. I need a freaking radio. One of Frank's things is like I went to Radio Shack look for radio. They didn't have. I one. need a three audio switch. switch. Yeah, so you sort of stick with what you're branded as, and they're not branded as uh, as being a place to find computer games or and or Steam games, which are, which are computer games. You know, they're not known for that. My question has always been, and actually, it would be cool if someone in the comments knew. 
because you mentioned um, selling the Steam cards. I've always wondered if there's any profit for a store on that, or if it's just something that gets them in. Because you pay exactly $10, and you get exactly $10 worth of, of Steam credit. I can't imagine that they're taking that they they would allow themselves to take much. I mean, Steam. It's like any other gift card, though. There, ha- there has to be some sort of cushion in there. Why you go into a Vaughn supermarket? They have fifty different gift cards you can buy. Well, I'm thinking just to draw people into the store. There's got, but there's got, there's got to be some sort of cut going back. Well, I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, maybe what, what, what is that cut? Maybe it's a dollar a card or something. You know, like maybe it's so minute that it's just like a bonus. I don't know. There has so, to be. So I think the thing with GameStop is. Um, the thing is, uh, between their retro and their Steam boxes and the tablets and the phones and the supposedly... I mean, we talked about it a while ago and I haven't seen anything else on it, but supposedly them opening separate stores for those sales of, of, of the tablets and the phones and comp- refurbished they're, computers and stuff, they're, they're grabbing at too many straws and they're diversifying too fast in a way that I don't think is going to help them at all. They're turning into Radio Shack, and I love Radio Shack. And there's some still. They didn't close all of them. They closed a chunk of them. But I loved old Radio Shack back when I used to mess around. Back with when they had Tandys. Bullshit. <laughs> I just gra- yeah. basically they had graphing calculators or remote control cars, little little, aisles some, and, little science kits, and LCD games and radios. That's all they had. And I and if you went to the right one, aisles and aisles of potentiometers, switches, wires, oh, yeah. clips. I mean, I used to circuit bend uh, weird toys to make noises, and like I used to love going there and just buying all that stuff. And you can't do that anymore. It's very sad. So that'll be GameStop in like ten years, like Radio Shack. <laughs> you like, you'll walk in, there won't be any games anymore. They'll have like computers and tablets and cell phones. You'll be like, oh, there's no, there's no games anymore. I am begging you, please buy a cell phone contract. Radio Shack got really bad at the end, like pathetic. Like, I had to, like, run away. they're still around. Ours is still here, local. Well, the last time I was in there, I had to run away from the guy because I asked him for an AC adapter, and he tried to sell me a cell phone. And he was, like, saying things to me as I left the the store. They did have uh, the universal um, AC I needed for my Turbo Duo. That's that's the last time I went there, so that was, like, four years ago. They did have that. Oh, I was was looking for something really strange, but, yeah. So they still, Rio Shack, yeah, they're still around. Um, they still, they still, their stock price is at three cents. That's good. Um, <laughs> Ow. Damn, Radio Shack. That's a penny stock. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's literally a penny stock. But, um, they still have stuff on their website you can order. But the problem is that you can order that shit anywhere now. You can order any audio part off eBay and it's probably cheaper. You know, like, that's just the reality of the world we're in. Mm-hmm. Oh, I miss Crazy Eddie as well. That's a whole other conversation. We can have a whole defunct East Coast store conversation. All right, so... We, we don't talk about this stuff that much, but this one's a little interesting. Uh, an unreleased N64 prototype sold for close to $3,000 on eBay. It's a third-person sort of space shooter. Uh, the footage is online. It's called Viewpoint 2064. Um, Sequel to a Genesis game. Uh, so just called Viewpoint. Viewpoint was by SNK, the original. The original was an isometric, isometric shooter. Viewpoint 2064 was, this is from the article, was, was to have multiple points of view and quality 3D graphics at the time. You can look at the video. Well, it's like a decent game. Um, so I guess it was, this was American Sammy was going to put this out, or Sammy, if you want to shorten it. And then, uh, <laughs> I just love the name American Sammy. They showed the prototype at Nintendo Space World in 1999. I have no idea what that is. Space like, World used to be um, Nintendo's own uh, like Tokyo game show. Okay, they used to have their own? Yeah. They have no idea. Uh, so... Um, there's so so what I want to talk about is first of all uh, anytime a, a game's unreleased 
it'll go for more money. I'm surprised it went for three thousand. Me too. Because uh, even unreleased NES uh, prototypes don't go for near this amount, um, unless it's a sort of weird one that. Well, it's all the conversation that people think they can make money off by making repos. They still don't go for three grand. They may go for a thousand, twelve hundred. At least what I've seen in the past. So three thousand is a good chunk of change for this. Or maybe maybe there isn't a lot of prototypes since before that are still out there that, to be found. Maybe that's why. Because the game the game looks pretty fun. But it looks to me is just sort of like eh, okay, it's fine, whatever. Um, so my question is though is that why hasn't this ROM been dumped and will it hopefully be dumped by whoever bought this? I think the, 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 the broader question is, I mean, should ROMs be dumped or, you know, as opposed to being held for ransom? And by the way, I phrased that just now. I think I, I, I gave, I gave my answer. Um, I'm of a preservation point of view. I, I feel like, especially these one of a kind games, if we want a complete digital history of gaming or as complete as we can get it, we need to dump these, and we need to release them to the public. Now, I'm aware that people spend a lot of money on prototypes. Um, however, that's your choice. I mean, it, it, it's uh-huh. your choice to own it, and if you're the person who's willing to pay the money to get it, it it's, I, I wonder, it, is there a responsibility on your part to do it? Now, well, technically, no. But well, okay. They bought it, but they bought the cartridge holding it. They did not buy the intellectual property sure. held within. And that's where I think people forget about when they buy these prototypes. And we never really had this broader conversation about they don't own that game. Sure. They own... We don't own these games. We own the cartridges holding a board the game's you on. You own a, a physical manifestation I own the, I own the license of the, each of these games. Sure. That's what I own. This is, to me, even more specious because he owns the intellectual property of a company that someone now owns that... Who owns American Sammy now? I don't know. I ain't looking it up. Sammy's still around. Okay. Sammy owns that game. They own that prototype. That's their property. So it doesn't even, to me, come down to should he release it or not. It comes down to, well, he should release it for preservation, but American Sammy or Sammy owns that property. Whether they want to release it or not, it's up to them. The shittiest thing to do, though, is not release it at all. You know, that's, that's the shittiest thing to do, because obviously, not only do you not own that, you don't have any right to even own that at the end of the day, uh, but now, uh, probably because the way this is flashed, this isn't a cartridge like this that'll last 150 years. There right. could be bit rock going on here, so I, I doubt that Sammy has records of this still. You know what I mean? Like, they may not have this in their system anymore. Or maybe some developer uh, over in Japan has it somewhere. Who the hell knows where he is? So this has to get preserved. Well, and it, it not getting released is not the shittiest thing of all. It not getting released because the person wants to put a ransom on it is well, the yeah. biggest. I, I dislike it when people require money to be raised for them to release and that I've ROM. Seen it. And in this, so have I. And in this instance, based on the things that you said, it's even more. Um, I, I find it more reprehensible uh, because it, not, not only do you not own it, not only is the company still around, not only is it only your property in terms of one use, but if you are going to release it, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. You, I mean, to charge money for it just seems ridiculous. Well, I don't know what the, I think the video on YouTube is not even the, the, the guy who uploaded these. That's not even theirs. I think he got that footage elsewhere of the guy who owns it. So, yeah. 
So I don't know. It's scary to me that, the, I mean, the, yes, that this has obviously been through multiple hands and hasn't been dumped yet. So I, I mean, I've seen this with the NES prototype scene. You have three or four guys buying up 90% of the prototypes. That makes me sick in and of itself because they're sort of coring this really niche market to begin with. But then seeing guys, I've seen it myself, people uh, try to see prototypes bidding way up just because they know it's an investment. They can make the money back on a, on a repro cartridge of it. Um, so you get into a weird area where, I mean, we haven't seen it yet. We, we've seen the guy with the Shadowhawk property go after that repro. That was before the intellectual property of just of, of, of Shadowhawk himself, of, of the combo character, not the actual game. We have not yet seen a company go after someone for a prototype, uh, especially trying to sell it. I think that most companies wouldn't care, but if they try to sell it, we haven't seen that yet. I'm not saying someone should, should be made an example of, but if this continues like this, when a company has every right to do that, to go after that, at least to say forfeit forfeit this property, it's not it's not yours. I feel like you know a lot of companies would look at their older back catalogs and be like, dump it if it's dumped, fine. It's yeah. it's, it's no longer of our concern. Uh, but yes, I think if this company, if a company is still around like Sammy, and uh, someone tries to profit off of their unreleased code then yes, I think there would be a larger issue. Or there could be a much larger issue. Oh yeah, like, like I'm surprised no one ever went after all those people for the Star Fox 2, you know, Super Nintendo repros. Like, I'm surprised that they never got yeah. after Because Nintendo could have easily released that in virtual console, you know, and just got out. You know what I mean? Like, they could have done something with that. Nintendo was so weird. They, they the game was basically finished. It was finished. Yeah, they, they screw with people who do YouTube, uh, and then uh, they don't go after Star Fox 2. Uh, they don't go after the fan translation of Mother 3 and the subsequent repros that, you know, got done. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm okay with those things existing, absolutely. Like, I, I mean, get those into people's hands, especially, like, the Mother 3 thing. Like, that's... People wanted that, and I'm glad that that fan translation even got mentioned in Nintendo Power. But they, they don't go after that, yet they go after YouTubers who are reviewing their games. No, that's not so much to go after. They just sort of... They want a little... A little cut. So. <laughs> So, okay, so I'm hoping that whoever owns this does the right thing and dumps it uh, for preservation. I mean, honestly, I'm looking at the game. It looks fun. It looks like almost like a sort of N64 uh, Star Fox-ish sort of game. That's the best way I can describe it, but more, you know, obviously more generic. That's the way it looks to me. Mm-hmm. So, so check out the video. I'll, I'll link it somewhere uh, of the footage. And uh, I'm, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's, there's other... Uh, unreleased N64 games out there, but probably not as a huge amount because it's not like the library was vast. You know, it's not, it's not like you had a, a lot going on with that library library to begin with. Speaking of N64, we have a fellow auctioning off a complete in box collection for forty thousand dollars, or best offer, or best offer, which I think is a bit uh, a bit mental. Um, well, maybe he wants to see who bites. Sure. What's weird about it to me... To all 296 games. And and I'm not trying to be super judgmental here, but N64 in the grand scheme of things, compared to Super Nintendo, regular Nintendo, Genesis, um, is a more recent system. And as far as collecting goes, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not necessarily aiming this directly at this guy, but I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about things in my head. Um... I would be willing to bet that this had to have been completed sometime in the recent past. And now it's up on eBay for auction. What concerns me, and it might not be the case with this guy, so like I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to point fingers, is 
But this to me raises the concern. Uh, Pat and I talk about collectors who, who, who collect quickly and collect with deep pockets. And what worries me is that people collect these complete sets, pull games out of rotation, and then try to flip a complete set for a buck. Now, who knows if that's what's happening here. A complete box Nintendo 64 collection wouldn't be cheap. It certainly wouldn't be 40k. But why would you spend all that time getting a complete box N64? That's not easy. You have to remember, N64 boxes were flimsy as hell. I mean... Yeah, I mean they were they're among the flimsiest boxes out there. The cardboard is super thin and super disposable, um, with the exception of some of the thicker boxes like Star Fox or or um, uh, Pokemon Stadium. So I don't know. It just it raises a couple flags for me in terms well, of why did you do it? I mean, was it done to just turn and flip it? I don't, I, I won't talk about his motive so much though versus the price in terms of the collectability of N sixty four boxes. You're, you're talking about. 296 games, a third of which are sports or cheap racing titles that no one really cares about. God, that's had so many racing titles. Uh, but I'm looking at the library now, and there's all these sports games that I didn't even know existed because I'm not overly familiar with the library. I had no idea there was a Mike. P- I love Mike Piazza. I'm gonna go out and buy the game now. I had no idea there was a Mike Piazza game. I've got plenty of them. So the fact of the matter is, these games aren't worth much, even complete. Uh, so you're looking at a third of the library that I would guess. Complete in box is less than fifteen dollars each, and I'm probably being generous. Uh, I think, those. like honestly, for instance, a Mike Piazza, which I did have complete in box, uh, six bucks. How much do you think a Knockout Kings two thousand in the boxes? And that's even probably a teeny bit harder to find. You know, like, maybe ten, maybe NASCAR games. You know, we're talking um, a Razor Freestyle Scooter. We're talking Ready to Rumble Boxing. We're talking games that seem, might, might seem interesting, but are people clamoring for them complete in box? There's not many complete in box collectors to begin with, but for N sixty four, probably even less. You know, it's a very strange library to collect for because I I, I, I get on the, the library of games just being just sort of just, uh, who cares? But it, it, there really isn't a huge amount of interesting, weird games on, on, on the system. No, no. And, and I do want to reiterate, reiterate, I'm not accusing this guy of anything. It's just strange to me. It makes me think of other things that could potentially happen, like I said, collecting and flipping. But it is a weird... Price-wise, I'm all for the best offer method. I mean, but, yeah. you know, but I, I just... 40K is a strange price to put on. Usually when people do best offer, like, if that's all they're doing is trying to field offers, they would put the, the, the monetary level at something a lot higher. Um, this almost, to me, seems like something that maybe someone would hope someone would bite for. I'm gonna I'm gonna be generous and say the average complete in box title on the N64 is thirty five dollars. Uh, I think that's probably maybe, and that's just the top of my my head. Let's go uh, crazy and just put it up to let's forty forty. So at forty dollars times two ninety six, you're looking at eleven thousand eight hundred forty dollars. So let's call it fifteen thousand. Let's be super dunce. Super super dunce because again, yeah, you have a sculptor's cut which goes for at this point probably I don't know maybe that's the only one that's close to a thousand complete. Uh, Worms Arm- Armageddon. Uh, Sculptor's Cut, Worms Armageddon, Bomberman Second Attack. International uh, Superstar, Superstar Soccer, Soccer 2000. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember Indiana Jones, yeah. maybe. That may that goes. But after that, that ceiling drops. You have the first party titles that are probably, you know, $90, $80 range. You have your Star Foxes, you have your Majora's Mask, which is probably still under 100 bucks. 70 So it drops. Then after that, you have the rest. You have your Jeremy McGrath Supercross 2000. So you have like three levels of games in the N64. Five to seven. You see what I'm yes. trying to say? Yes. You have your really hard to find games, your first party games, the shit. 
It's it's not like the NES where you have like six or seven levels of games. This it. isn't a multi-tiered parfait. This isn't a, a <laughs> parfait of many uh, of layers. It's it's no. three layers. Yeah. So so you have your your sculptor's cut. Uh, you have your Duke Nukem sixty four. Then you have your ECW Hardcore Revolution. Those are your three tiers of games on the system. You know. So I think someone might bite at this to reflip it. But like I said, I don't I don't think someone's really. But again, if they're going to reflip it, they're going to want half the price. So they're probably off for like five thousand. Uh, for this, or six thousand. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But we don't. We haven't talked about an eBay auction in a while. Uh, you know, I just think it's interesting. What does Brunswick Circuit Pro Bowling go for? <laughs> Five bucks, three bucks, three bucks. Yeah, it's just it's. I don't know. The N sixty four is a system that boggles me. You know what the thing is though? Um, guys doing it at the right time. N sixty four is the absolute most popular system I sell in the store right now. <laughs> Hands down. In three years, someone's going to be selling a complete GameCube collection, trying to cash in on it at the right time, too. Because GameCube is steadily gaining steam. I, so, just, I just think it's funny looking at the library of games, because there's literally 21 titles that start with either NBA, then NFL, or NHL. I know. <laughs> You've seen them. I know. <laughs> I and, and out of those, what do we have that's that's good? Well, Hang Time's outstanding. you got to get NBA Hang Time. The NBA Jam games are fucking terrible. Hang Time used to be NBA. It was basically an NBA. Jam. Yeah, Hang Time is the true follow up to to Jam. But the, they lost the, the, the Jam. The acclaimed jams that weren't made by Midway were are, fucking garbage. Then I have no idea how the NBA Live series is. Not uh, not good on the sixty four. Or in the zone or oh NFL Blitz is probably decent. Blitz Quarter, is fun. Quarterback clubs probably you know, awful. It's a claim. They had four of them. Uh, NHL ninety nine. I didn't know that was on the N sixty four NHL series in three D. Um, and then you have Blaze is still 99. I have no idea. Oh, then there, isn't there a Wayne Gretzky hockey game or two? So again, Wayne yeah. Gretzky's hockey and Wayne There's Gretzky's two. Olympic hockey. And Three then, hockey, 98, and then regular one looks like there is. Yeah, 98 and Olympic are the exact same, except for one has Olympic teams and the other doesn't. Then you have your, your 9 or 10 WWF and WCW games that are all... Four of which were great. Um, and you have your awful one, that which is, which is uncommon, though, your backstage assault, which is a really good idea to have a, a wrestling game without a ring. That's fantastic. And then you have, of course, your hard ones to find, like, Ogre Battle. Because you couldn't just add that to a normal wrestling game. You got your Ogre Battle, and then you have your, what is it, Stunt Racer is tough to find. So I, I can complete an NC4 collection or whatever I want. I basically just need, I think, Bomberman's Second Attack and International Superstar Soccer, the only ones I need that are worth anything. But, uh, all right, we'll see what happens with this auction. We'll move on. We're going to talk about Kevin uh, Feige. Uh, uh, he's the head of uh, Marvel Studios. Um, and he is... Uh, he's commenting on what Spielberg said about Spielberg thinks that you know uh, genres and movies are cyclical, like the western died out after like twenty five, thirty years, and now you you see westerns sporadically. Um, he responded to Spielberg, and uh, his, his response. He also responded to Zack Snyder. We never spoke about Zack Snyder's comments, his sort of uh, dismissal of Ant Man, uh, which was kind of just not just unprofessional, kind of just. Petty. He's such an infuriating man. So real quick, his comment, we talked about Spielberg's comments. Zack Snyder said that uh, Batman and Superman are transcendent and go beyond the superhero genre, unlike Flavor of the Week superheroes like Ant-Man. And he called out Ant-Man specifically, which is kind of weird. Because Ant-Man's a quality film. I think it was probably just because it was, it was you know, fresh in his out. mind. Um, I, which is funny, because Ant-Man... I think uh, probably didn't make that much less money. Did it make more than, than the last Superman movie? I'm going to check right so, now while you talk. <laughs> um, I mean, my thing is this: uh, Figgy has some some interesting, some 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 valid points, uh, and he comes across very level-headed in this. But um, 
you know, his his response sort of to Snyder, at least, is that Marvel's superheroes are incredibly broad and diverse. And his response also, and this and this also tied into what his response to Spielberg, um, that that's what makes them that gives them a a, a strength in a cinematic universe. Um, while Figgy understood or seemed understanding of 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 Spielberg's comparison to westerns, his retort was that each of their each of the Marvel movies can be seen as a different sort of genre movie. Now, there's always action, generally, in these. But you look at something like (coughs) Winter Soldier compared to something like Guardians of the Galaxy compared to something like Iron Man 3, which is basically a road trip movie, and you suddenly see that they're doing entirely different things. Now, superheroes are at the start of all of these, but they're they're different types of movies. And that's what makes the Marvel Cinematic Universe work, is that it's not all just these straightforward superhero films. They build the universe up by showing different facets of the facets of that universe. Yeah. Um, and that's why some something like I I, I, I I like Batman. I like Superman. But I honestly think Snyder's comment is completely backwards. Batman and Superman do not transcend anything superhero. They embody superheroes to a T. They're two of the original ones. Superman's the original superhero. And they're two of the most recognizable. Yeah. You, you cannot tell three. me that they're transcending anything. They're not. No, they're not. And if you want to look at box office, they're definitely not. Now, Ant-Man uh, it's still in theaters, but it's basically done. Ant-Man ended up doing four, <laughs> 400, we'll just say, probably had one or two more million. We'll just say 410 million worldwide. Uh, Man of Steel ended up doing um, 668. So it did about 50% less. Um, but for a C-lister like Ant-Man doing that well, um, and that still made Marvel money, and mm-hmm. especially when you, when you put into you know uh, home video, it doesn't exist anymore. But you know DVD sales and on-demand sales and uh, and and you know all the licensing, it, it did well. Um, Man of Steel disappointed. When you look back and look at it, people thought that was going to do a lot better than yes. what it did. You know, uh, it, it, there was a lot of hype around that movie. Um, there was a ton of publicity, remember, uh, two years ago from that movie. And there oh, wasn't it? much for Ant-Man. I mean, and that's another yeah. thing to look at. Ant-Man was kind of treated, promoted, and marketed as what it was. Yeah. Um, a heist film. And I don't want to... I don't want to... Because uh, we, we, we've we done it plenty and we'll do it more. And this isn't necessarily to be uh, a, a Snyder bashing. So, I mean, back to Figgy's response to Spielberg. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, he brings up the point. He's like, the, the era of the Western was like 40 years. You know, and he said it would be amazing if we could get something like 40 years out of superheroes. He goes, maybe we'd need to take a break, but we can, you know, because of how different all of these heroes are, we can work them into different roles and hopefully get people out of the mindset that this is a superhero movie and perhaps something like a spy movie or a buddy movie. You know, but it's just a different type. Captain America Winter Soldier is not a superhero movie when you watch it. There's no one with superpowers. I mean, you want to say Captain America has superpowers? Yeah, but it's not like people are, are like have laser beams coming out. The best... Uh, well, it's a movie s- of government distrust. The two best scenes in the movie is a, is a fight scene that was pretty pretty damn well choreographed in the, in the elevator. That was amazing. And then the, str- <laughs> and then the street uh, uh, gun combat was just straight out of heat. They And the, the brothers directed even said, yeah, we, we took Michael Mann's heat, and that's how we filmed it. And that was fucking awesome. That was a, it was a gunfight. 
mm-hmm. and your superhero movie, those are your two big fights. Not like Hulk slamming buildings. You know what I mean? Like they were more smaller and intimate for the most part. And there's room for all that. And, and yeah. there's room for the DC universe too. Um, I guess I am going to go back to Snyder for a minute. But Snyder needs to get his head out of his ass and act like he's doing something completely different than what Marvel is doing. He is not. He is doing what Marvel. He's trying to do what Marvel is doing with a coat of grim and dark, and that's DC's problem. Um, especially, well, to, much to their detriment, how they've treated. Um, well, the Nolan Batman movies are crime movies first and foremost. Yes. Especially the latter two. The first one's more of a traditional superhero movie, but once you get to uh, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, Batman's. It's a joke, but it, it isn't. Batman's barely in the movies. Right. He's not in those movies. You're looking at uh, the machinations of, of Gotham City, and you're looking at these these crime lords, and you're looking at um, uh, Commissioner Gordon. That that, and then you're looking at Bane taking down the city. That's a good chunk of those second and third movies. And seeing the joke, like Batman's like, oh, it's oh, by the way, it's a Batman movie. Get him in there. Here I am. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> you know? And I like so, those Batman movies. For anyone who thinks I'm a DC hater, goddamn it! I mean, I, those those were great. Those are fine by me. Um, I just, but I feel like that unfortunately set a tone that DC is going to constantly try to chase, and they won't be able to. But yeah. for the most part, their problem though is that and this goes back to why I prefer Marvel uh, heroes versus DC. Those first, the, all the big stringer DCs guys, for, with the exception of Batman, they're all gods. Mm-hmm. Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, even Flash, Superman. These are almost indestructible creatures um, that are harder to root for. It's harder to write for them, uh, partially because of that, them being gods and above everyone else. It's hard to write for something you can't kill or hurt. Not just that, though. They're above everyone else looking down. Mm -hmm. When when, uh, The Marvel guys were always down-in-luck people or people that suffered horrifically and then got their powers Mm -hmm. or got them in uh, in, uh, really bad circumstances like Iron Man or or Uh, Spider-Man. Reluctant heroes are usually what they are in Marvel, when in DC, they are, you know, they are the, you know, the epitome of... They, they're not transcending superheroes, like you said. They are superhero to a T. Yes. Um, so, you have to drink that one for the next topic. We're going to talk about, speaking of good old Zack Snyder, two Zack Snyder topics oh, in God, one week. Without, without... <laughs> so, HBO has confirmed that they are in preliminary discussions having some sort of Watchmen property or series uh, with Zack Snyder being involved. There's not a whole lot yet to say on this. I mean, even the uh, the, the news out there is, I mean, HBO followed up on a couple of the articles and literally said, we have been in talks, there's nothing else to say at this point. I think what does warrant musing or, or, or pondering on is what would they do with it? And so... You could have Snyder go through and redo the 12-issue actual book. Try always, to fi- always produce it. Produce Absolutely. it. Right, yeah. Try to do it more to a T, uh, or more more to the the actual uh, comic. You know, more more to the story, um, and, and do something along those lines. Um, the other two options are a bit scarier, and that is follow up with stuff that never occurred or and I never read them but they were uh, there was like one that was considered decent but they were not well received I refuse to read them Um, there were a series of prequel Watchmen comics for each of the main characters basically that uh, were released 
by DC. Um, I believe sometime around the time that the Watchmen movie came out. No, it was and after. It was, it, well, after. Before Watchmen was 2012. Okay. So before Watchmen, but to kind of cash in on the new popularity of, of the book, because, well, what are you going to do with a book that's complete from A to B when you read it? Well, you're going to, you, you don't do a sequel, you do a prequel. And I, there's fear that that's what is going to be done. And you add that with, with, with you, you, you add Snyder's, the Ed Snyder's usual level of uh, ham-fistedness. <laughs> yes, I was going to say delicateness and sarcasm, uh, sarcasm, but with his ham-fistedness, I mean, you're going to get something that was not well received in the first place, and it's going to be made worse. Here's the thing with Zack Snyder: in all seriousness, he's not a he's not a terrible director. Tell you what, Dawn of the Dead remake, okay. He knows just enough to be dangerous, and that's the worst type of director. So with Watchmen, he knew enough to try to be faithful. And he, to his credit, tried to lobby for bigger budgets. The, the sets they built in, in Vancouver, the streets of New York, looked pretty damn good. Um, but there wasn't enough money to do it property, properly. Um, but they tried. The effects were pretty good. So he knew enough to follow the story closely, but not enough to follow it as closely as it should have been followed. That's the problem. The problem with Watchmen... Um, and you might like the movie, but I will say from all the people I've encountered, 95% of people that liked the movie never read the book. And I'm one of those people that I'm not going to be a total snob. I didn't think the movie was terrible. I just think it was okay compared to a masterpiece. It's really bad to direct a masterpiece material into an okay movie or a pretty good movie yeah. or an, oh, it was entertaining. Oh, I got something out of it. But Watchmen, that's kind of, I mean, your wording. Watchmen, sure, you need the movie to be entertaining, but Watchmen was supposed to be something that made you think. Yes, and that's the problem. The, the The movie did make you think, but it sort of switched what you were thinking about in some degree. Um, deconstruction of superheroes, that's what Watchmen from Alan Moore, who has no involvement in anything anymore, has no control of the property, unfortunately. That's what it is. So the one of the main things that Snyder screwed up in the Watchmen movie was making the fights cool. Um, that was when you deconstructed superheroes for for the uh, Watchmen came out what eighty five eighty six came out so from the fifty less than fifty years before that fights were always cool pop zow in the face we knocked out the Joker in Watchmen the first fight scene in the movie is uh, in the alley fight where you have an out of shape um, night owl two and and the inner street clothes silk specter two fighting for their lives against a violent gang and it's brutal and it's not brutal to be cool we're talking right. we're talking You're talking like, about it in the book in the book you said yeah. in the movie i just want to clarify that yeah. it, i mean it was it was i mean it was brutal in the movie too but it looked cool in the movie right. so we're talking elbows you know throat strikes and knees and as real as you can get because this is fighting for your life no, in the is, book it's supposed to represent just like a bunch of people trying to be superheroes and like this is what it would be it's kind of like how daredevil is i, I like the daredevil um this, netflix series because it showed it showed them struggling it, it was a knockdown drag out yeah. fight it wasn't we're superheroes so when you go from life or death these are people with mental problems that become vigilantes which was another deconstruction of the book that I think was lost big time in the movie, or at least lost to a, a good uh, percent. Um, 
the slow-mo fights. The fight in the prison scene was the worst example. The hair whip running away from the fire. Moments that made the action cool when in the book they were never cool at all. Uh, in the book, the prison breakout scene when they when they break out uh, Rorschach was them doing sirens on the ship, running in, and almost getting in unscathed. I think they might have knocked out one guy in passing as they're talking to each other. But they turn into a cool fight scene where all of a sudden you have two uh, totally normal people, again, in Watchmen, only Dr. Manhattan has any sort of powers, and, and he was a deconstruction on Superman yes. itself. So you have Night Owl, who's an out-of-shape guy, probably at this point you know, pushing 40, uh, trying to get back into shape to even fight, and you have... Uh, you know, 115, 120-pound Silk Spectre 2, all of a sudden in the movie, they're taking out all these, uh, you know, gangbangers and hardened criminals in prison. Like, it's nothing. Right. That was not in the book. All this stuff was not in the book. Um, Zack Snyder didn't understand that uh, Adrian Veidt, um, while he was of German descent, in the book did not have a German accent. No. So one of my main complaints before the movie came out was, the actor took it upon himself to give himself a German accent, and Snyder said, no, 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 no. That's going to point out to the audience that, hey, this is the villain, even though we're supposed to keep it a secret. So shit like that, again, Snyder knew just enough to sort of make it 65 70% accurate, but not enough to realize that, hey, the, uh, the super cool fight scene in the beginning of the movie between Ozzy Amandias, cloaked, and the comedian, that should have been a super cool fight scene with heads and fists somehow bashing through, you know, porcelain and stone walls. It should have been what it was in the book, a brutal beatdown of a depressed guy who knew the world was going to end. Yeah. So, again, Snyder missing the mark. So this is the danger of Snyder then having any say in either before Watchmen or, to me, it's worse trying to remake a miniseries and trying to be more accurate because, hell, who knows what the hell he would do then. He shouldn't be anywhere near <laughs> this property, and I'm not sure why all of a sudden that uh, he's now the guy for Watchmen just because Warner Brothers want him to direct it. All of a sudden, he's the Watchmen guy. I don't understand why he's the guy for DC. Um, well, because he did Watchmen, yeah, and I, then he did he did Super uh, a Man of Steel. So, anyways. And I can go off more about... about uh, you know, changing the ending of Watchmen wasn't the worst thing, con- considering they had to take out the entire uh, subplot of the artists yeah. and, and and all that. That's fine, but not having the double the two Bernies talk to each other, eliminating the entire excellent subplot uh, of the psychiatrist and his his life, that was a crime. And that's not even in the extended version. You know that stuff. Well, I think maybe it is something I got to go back and rewatch it. But you went off more than I did on Zack Snyder this time. But I went off on him again, just knowing enough to be dangerous. You know, yeah. he, he's smart enough to to do it well enough to trick people that it's good, but it's not. I mean, that's a pretentious thing I just said, but I don't care because I love no Watchmen. because I, I because in general, taking a certain type of source material, say source material that is action packed to begin with, right and. You're taking a scene, let's say the prison break scene, okay? Let's say that that existed in another, uh, you know, comic, and there it was a it was a quick scene in the comic because they need to uh, stick to their page count, and you want to flesh it out and really show it like as something bigger. You can, but that was never what Watchmen was about in the about, first place. It wasn't about having cool fights, and it was just an example of them throwing in a cool fight. Or at the end, all of a sudden, Osman Diaz almost get, has superpowers, and he's jumping across the room, and that was never it. No. Osman Diaz was a peak human. He didn't have superhuman powers. You know, shit like that just bothered me. All right. Q&A time on the CU Podcast. 
Uh, this is from at Hogan's here Hogan's Heroes fan, the one remaining. Uh, Pat Neen, where do you see the future of PC game collecting, given the rapid change in hardware? Um, <clears throat> doesn't bode well. It, no, <laughs> it's tough. I see people who collect PC games, and they are dedicated. They have multiple computer setups for various things. I know people like that. You know, they have a 486, they have an Apple II, they have a... XT laying around? <laughs> you know, they, they, they have various setups for various games. It's cool. Actually, it's something that I kind of admire, because I love old PC gaming. I need an XT still. But, at some point, floppy disks, and as a fan of the Apple IIe, it worries me, floppy disks at some point are going to just stop working, and we're just not going to have them anymore. There's a limited supply. I don't think anyone's making new five and a quarters. Well, no, and I'm, I'm talking about the data contained on them. Well, you can always back that up. I mean, all, all this stuff is backed up. Sure, and, but still, then then what do you need to do? Then you need to pull it off the... I mean, like, yes. Apple II games, you, I mean, you run them off the floppy. So at some point, you lose your ability to play this stuff. I think the future of PC game collecting, and, and I don't... It, this, is not my, this is not my cup of tea, but I can see a large... Well, not large. I can see a subset of collectors who get, and I know they exist already, but who get into big box PC games. Why? Mm -hmm. Because big box PC game boxes are gorgeous. They have lots of art on them. They are generally well constructed. They come with big manuals. I mean, some of the thickest manuals you will ever see in games are in big box stuff. So I almost feel like at some point this will be stuff that people collect because they want to own it, not necessarily play it. Sure, I, I took this question totally differently from you, actually. I thought he was referring to games now, PC games now, if they're going to be collectible. Oh, okay. And, and the short answer is no, they're not. And I'd say PC collecting eventually, I think, is going to be stopping in the early 2000s. Because that, that's the point where every game you bought had an individualized serial number put inside. Yeah. So even when I go to the swap meet now, I tell, I try to tell the vendors... And I tell people looking, people are selling, I guess when they transition to the small box, late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of those are worthless because you're not buying them for the data, which you can download from the website now. Like, for example, Unreal Tournament 2004, you can download the entire game off the site. You still need an original serial number. At least you did like six, seven years ago when I was still playing competitively. But the serial number is used. So in the future, when you're buying games the past 5, 10, 15 years, what are you buying? Right. It, well, and I have to get into this with people all the time because people always come in and they're like, you sell used PC games? I get this question every day. And, I, and most of the time I'm just like, no, but you know, one of them will be like, oh, why not? And I'm like, what am I... And I say that almost exactly what you said. What am I supposed to sell you? I said, used PC games that had physical copies either had serial numbers, for the most part, or... They or you need a manual that could often be lost that had a weird form of copy protection where you need to find paragraph three on page fifty six and go three words in. To, 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 but to those be, you can at least find the information for those. Sure, but I, it's just it's a cumbersome hobby. But now all the used game sales are on uh, what GOG or, or or Steam or something. Not else. used, but old game sales. Yeah, would be. That's honest. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I mean. That's that's the new way you're going to play these games sure. in the future. You're going to have some people that are going to be nuts and have five different types of computers, but for the by and large, they'll, they'll emulate it all on a DOS box, or they'll, they'll have an Apple II emulator in the future, and you'll play it all on that, and that's the way you're going you're gonna to play them. But like you said, if you want to buy the old one, 
I have old Apple II games. They're gorgeous. I have Ultima One out there. You know, like they're cool to have the, all the extra feelies and stuff. If you've got the room, I mean, it's yeah. it, they look nice. I mean, they look nice. They're cool to have. It's one of the few things where like I could I could see people owning just to own it in a collection. At least that would make sense to me. Um, and it's nice that a lot that there are some uh, indie developers out there who do push and make physical editions for people who ask for them. You know, usually limited, but. That's not everyone, mm-hmm. and that's select developers. You know, the big developers are going to go to all digital at some point if, if they already have it. Like, I, I, I'm, lit, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, did Arkham Knight get a physical release for the PC, or was it just download on oh. Steam? I don't know. I got I to go into a, a, a Comp USA if there's any still existing. At <laughs> L- Little Stevie, what games do you think are the strongest examples of revisionist history, either good or bad? There's a couple that we've talked about before, but I want to. I, I I would say the most recent example of um, video game revisionist history would be uh, Majora's Mask on the N64. Uh, when that game came out, not a lot of people were real thrilled with it. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad game because I, I it's the Zelda that I actually like, but when it came out, it was met. It was fairly tepidly met by by buyers. It was not well con- it was not well considered. Uh, and then w- it, for the years that I worked at for for years that when I worked at Luna, I would have stacks and stacks of Majora's Mask and no Ocarina of Time. Yet Nintendo starts pumping it up, and they're doing this limited edition Majora's Mask 3DS, and they're going to put it out on the 3DS. And all of a sudden, everyone and their fucking mother thinks Majora's Mask is the best goddamn game that ever came out. And it's just, it's weird to me, because it is a good game. And I'm glad people saw it. And I'm glad that the people who were fans all along got what they wanted out of it. But it is very strange to me. We normally talk about revisionist history games where people don't like them. Or, 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 you know, decide they don't like them now, but, you know, they weren't looked down upon in the back. Like Super Mario Bros. 2 or Zelda 2, which are two examples that we use a lot. Mm-hmm. But there have been some others, and I can't think of them off the top of my head, where they weren't well liked back then, but somehow, whether it's a promotion machine or a rediscovery of the game... Um, people suddenly decide that they liked a game that was not favored back then, and Majora's Mask is a, a, an easy example of that. Um, kind of hard to think of it going the other way, ones ones that were kind of lukewarm. I think games more or less got discovered later on. Maybe maybe they were just sort of I the term hidden gems, but the, you know. But it's hard to think of a game that when it first came out was available to everyone, but lukewarm response all of a sudden twenty years later is like, oh, this is a fantastic game. I'm having trouble thinking of one, honestly. That's fine. Like, I mean, maybe the heat, maybe the heat. <laughs> um, uh, this is at from David Dave Van Damnet. Why don't MS and Sony and Nintendo attack each other like Nintendo, Sega, Turbo Graphics, Atari, etc. used to back in the day with their ads? Well, I think it's simple between Microsoft and Sony. You know, <laughs> eighty to ninety percent of the games are the same on both systems. So why would you attack them? It's not like there's a different library. They they have their they have their you know their handful of, of exclusive franchises, but outside of that, oh, you're gonna attack them for having the same games we have. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't make any sense to do that. I think that's the first point. I don't think Microsoft and Sony see Nintendo as a threat. Uh, rightfully so. I think they see it as an entirely different market. And I think there's rarely, if you're gonna have a Nintendo, you're probably gonna have one of the other systems as well. It's not like you're gonna choose because Nintendo Nintendo does have different games on. Mm-hmm. The, the first party games are totally different. 
um, for the most part. And then plus they have the third-party ones that are, are different that usually won't appear in the other ones, much to Nintendo's chagrin because they can't get a, a GTA game on their system, maybe maybe the next one. Um, so there's no reason to do that. Culturally, though, I think we're at a, a place now where I think attack ads are, are and aggressive ads are sort of looked down upon yes. versus how they were 20, 25 years ago. Uh, we're at, I don't want to say a more sensitive time, but I think people don't like that sort of advertising. They don't want. They don't like the confrontation aspect of that. They rather say, "Oh, let's everyone get along." That's just my gut when it comes out. I don't think. I don't think Microsoft would see besides sharing the same libraries. I don't think they would see an advantage all of a sudden where, "Oh, we're going to attack the evil Sony Enterprise." When, you know, like, why do that? Why? Why sort of cast yourself in that light as being the aggressor versus just trying to share the pie with them? You know, I think. Uh, I, I mean, those are definitely valid points, especially like the. Um the Nintendo thing. Why attack Nintendo? They're doing their own thing. I mean, you, you gain nothing from attacking Nintendo. But I think it's also uh, attitude. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's a let's get along thing because I mean, Sony did make some slightly funny ads poking at you know Xbox and stuff like that, and that happens. The, I think it's a difference of time, but I think it's it's also a, a large difference in target market. Um, video games these days are sold to are targeted to. 18, 20 year olds, all the way up to you know people in their forties. Uh, they don't need that. They want they want to know features and specs. Mm-hmm. Most of these attack ads that people remember, you know, like Sega does what Nintendo don't. Um, these came out when video game systems were targeted to kids, teenagers, kids, teenagers, and that sort of shit works really well on kids mm-hmm. like that, especially on the schoolyard. You want to be cool? What does everyone in your school have? Okay, and the commercial's telling me this. Well, I'm gonna do this. I I, I, I feel like the I, I feel like that sort of stuff works, but be- it, it works better on on, on on younger kids. I think they're more susceptible to that sort of advertising. Oh, definitely. If you if you want to say where it shifted, I guess around turn of the millennium, maybe it got a little less then. For the most part, I don't, I don't PS2 and Xbox. I would say, yeah, I don't remember a whole lot of attack ads between those two. They probably figured, hey, you know, we got a big market here. I mean, it's not the best look of a new console. You know, the Xbox going after competitors when they have to establish themselves. But yeah, Johnny, the days of Johnny Turbo are probably done. I don't think you're going to see that again. Uh, I think people are going to look to pl- play nice. And then I think, I think being that, I think there's, it's, it's easier to stir up being that we're in a social media world now with the internet and Twitter and everything else. It's easier to stir up controversy to begin with and, Rivalries that may not even exist. So, like, maybe why feed into that? That's a know? that's a fantastic point. Thanks. You, your your fans are already doing the attack ads for you. Yeah. I mean, so why bother? You know, that way you can look professional and stay out of it, and let your fanboys do it. Nintendo planting the seeds of going after Sony's next console. <laughs> That'd be funny. So, this is from Zimbabwean. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwean. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwean. Uh, Pet, have you ever considered completing another collection apart from NES, Turbo Graphics, and Virtual Boy? You completed your Virtual Boy? There's only 14 games. I mean, I thought there was one you were missing. Anyway, no, I got Jack Brothers. Oh, okay, I almost had I almost had a complete second set at one point. I, I know. Said. Okay, you're right. I do remember. Actually, that. I still do. I think I have like 13 of no, 12 of the 14. Anyway, I got, I got to sell them. Poor Retro Gaming Expo. Um, I also have Sega Master System. No, I don't want to do any of those. I just wanted to do the three I grew up with and had. Um, the NES Sega Master System, which was barely because I only had Rampage for it, and Alex Kid built in because uh, my dad maybe sell Raston and um, Turbo Graphics. Um, 
I'm not the sort of collector who needs to have every game for every system. I could have an N64, like I, like I said before, I, I could I could complete my N64 collection fairly easily if I wanted to. I have I have almost all the tough games for it. Um, so, but what? I don't care. It's just I, 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 it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I, some collectors want to get everything for every system. It, it just doesn't matter. I, I have what I have. I'm, I'm getting a little bit older. Uh, I've been collecting for, Christ, now 17 years. You know, it's, it's, it's at some point you slow down in your old age. Uh, you you think about other things. I'm concentrating on other projects. I don't go to this, the flea market as much as I used to. Your sickness even. is in remission. Is it remission? Is going to come back at some point? I'm, we don't know. I transitioned to some things here and there. I, I got into uh, handhelds for a while. I got a bunch of those. I kind of slowed back out of it, but I have a, I have most of the handhelds I'd want, with the exception of a few. You know, it's like I, I think I think the mentality about just completing, just for the sake of completing, is sort of a false goal um, because at, at the end I think it's a goal just to say you accomplished it but unless there's some sort of connection there's no meaning you know so uh, so you can say well you're not going to play most of your NES games well we have for the marathon we played, I've played every Nintendo game I can say that yeah um, I can probably say that too <laughs> so we've suffered through every NES game uh, but I just think it's as a stat. I don't. I didn't do it for a status symbol. That's not why I did it. I was collecting before it was cool. Before anyone cared, you know. It it was just someone's gonna call you a hipster. <laughs> That's Frank's joke. Joke about. <laughs> um, no, I don't want to talk, do, give away his pizza joke. I want him to tell him the hipster pizza joke. You ever hear it? Yes, it's good. But you have heard. I'll, yeah, well, I'll let Frank tell it someday. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, where am I going with this? I don't know. I'm not, I don't. No, I don't want to complete it anymore. Plus, I don't have the fucking room. If I move, I already know the the, the, the stuff that I'm going to sell. Like I already know like, this is going to be gone. This is going to be gone. You know, do, do I really need uh, the, the the action max in the box right no. there? You know, we should do an updated uh, no video collection. No, <laughs> never a fucking again. All right, so moving on before that goes any further, uh, this is from Indie Raider. Uh, Pat, in a DVD commentary, you said you lost weight. How long ago was it, and what did you look like compared to now? He looks like an eggplant. I, I hate to say it, but I talk pretty much nonstop in my commentaries, and I probably drop some gems and personal history or knowledge that I don't even remember. That's, I'm not trying to sell my DVD, but people will say that. I, I don't remember what video that was from. Um, I lost weight between junior and senior year in college. I had, I had uh, ACL surgery the year before. I let myself go in college. I was depressed. I made a couple of bad decisions I won't get into now uh, between freshman and sophomore year. Um, I was playing way too much video games and not really being active. So I ballooned up and probably weighed, wow, I probably weighed 230. Uh, now, and now I'm, I'm under 180, uh, to give you an idea. Um, so, um, yeah, so I wasn't like really hugely obese, but I was fat. I wasn't attracted to the opposite sex. And I know that just because no girls really talked to me freshman and sophomore year of college. And then I lost like 30 pounds that summer by, by running and cutting back on sweet stuff. And all of a sudden, wow, girls were talking to me. So that taught me a valuable lesson that girls were just as shallow as guys. And I didn't know that before that. I don't think a lot of guys realize that. Um, so use that to your advantage, fellas. Uh, so that was, so that, was uh, that was basically it. And it wasn't like I got into super shape. I just got into you know halfway decent shape that that summer, um, so yeah. So go go uh, go find pictures of me somehow from back then. Find chubby pat pics from before then. They're funny. I guess I had cute chubby fat cheeks. I don't know. Anything to add, Ian? No. 
No, but you did want to... I mean, I wanted to bring something up just because you said you, you... We talked about it in the car. Um, and you mentioned you cut back on sweet stuff. And it was something I've noticed. Uh, every time I, I work out, and my workouts usually, like I said, end in back injury, which is why I'm taking it careful this time. But you said, like, these days you can't eat sweet stuff because because of... Not as much. Not, not as I much. I lost my sweet taste for, like, iced tea, lemonade, can't drink it anymore. I gotta, like, I gotta, like cut it with water. Right. I just can't do it. Yeah, and, and likewise... My taste for sweet stuff has actually gone up, but it's because it's kind of the one junky thing I still, I, I, I still eat. Like I, I, my taste for f- fatty food has gone down considerably. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's um, burritos. <laughs> yeah, sadly. I mean, and when I eat them, I still love them, but it's just not something I'm looking for at all times. I kept my sweet tooth for chocolate, much to my. Uh, Chocolate's Chigurin. different than candy, though. I, I mean, it, 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 it's just a different sort different. of taste. It's, and feel. it's not the same, yeah. But yeah. in terms of like, um, just like lollipops or stuff like that, is your, your face? Right? I love. I you love... gave me a look like I was a lollipop. I love... like you gave me a look like you would have eaten me if I was a dumb dumb flavor. Your head turned into a great blow pop. <laughs> I want you guys to rewind it. The look in his face. Where I, I don't think Ian's ever looked at me like that, and that was very uncomfortable. Can someone second. please, who's good with video editing or whatever, do it like the old cartoons oh, where I Pat can't... turns into a grape blow pop, please? Because that's exactly what kind he of went through like, my head. literally half smacked his lips then. No, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> half. It was a full-on <laughs> smack. Don't ever look at me like that again, I'm, please. I'm going to look at you like that all the time. <laughs> all right. <sighs> Harvey Farrior. Farrior. Uh, Pat, why do you have such a disdain for the Mega Man franchise? Okay. My disdain for the Mega Man franchise, and I went back and I, I, for the book, I reviewed number four and I played 99% of it. So I can say that it gave it a fair shake, didn't give it a bad review. Um, but I, hell, I, I played half of them on the marathon. I went back and once, once I got all the bullshit out of the way of, of yelling at it, I went back and beat half of Mega Man 5 and I think half of Mega Man 1 won marathon. And I did okay. So it's not that, oh, I'm bad at video games. I'm not bad at video games. I'm pretty damn good at most video games. I just have disdain for the Mega Man franchise because it's a game that you have to learn where you die by dying. That's my disdain for the for the franchise. Out of all the games like Castlevania and Ninja Gaiden, those are games that, if you're a pretty good gamer, you could get through without having a lot of cheap deaths. Now, not not entirely, but you can get through a good chunk of the game by your skill. And Mega Man, if you're a skilled gamer, you're still going to get your ass kicked. Uh, the laser traps or cheap placements of enemies after a pit that you have to know, oh, a guy's going to appear right away, i got to jump back and then shoot him or else he's going to knock me off. There's a lot of shit like that, have, that happens in Mega Man games. And a lot, that's where a lot of the difficulty lies. There's not a lot of difficulty in, in learning, uh, for example, um, where to use, like, like switching off of the weapons. Yeah, that happens, but by and large, you don't need to do that stuff. It's just learning where the enemies are going to be to get through the levels. And to me, that's sort of you're not really using your skill that much in terms of in terms of just you're memorizing it you're going through and that's really where my disdain lies for, for fair or unfair that's where I separate the Mega Man franchise from others that's fair I, I like the Mega Man games and I can't argue on, on some of those points especially like the, 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 the beam mazes that you have to fall yeah. through um the thing is, though, I, I do think Mega Man requires a great bit of skill. Once you know, where oh, I didn't the, say it wasn't not skill. Once, once you know where those those beams are coming from, once you know where those blocks are going to be, once you know where those enemies are, 
it still takes a great deal of skill to do something like run through it with no death or something sure. like that. So, I, I, I and but I think it, the learning scenario isn't the traditional game learning scenario where it teaches you gradually how to beat things in a level so that you're not going to, so yeah, you can get through it. Fair. I think a lot, it throws you in the deep end. I think a lot of the modern day love for the old Mega Man games comes from that uh, many players have forgotten that that's how you start with Mega Man. You know, mm-hmm. for a lot of these people who love Mega Man, the Mega Man games are burned into their brains. So there's a challenge, but to them they don't see the unfair part of the challenge anymore. And I think that that's I think that's where you're coming from because you didn't, I didn't play grow up with yeah, them. Yeah, you didn't grow up with them. So you're So I'm actually being the most objective of all. You're at the yes, but you're at the you're at the eight year old level where like everyone was learning that stuff, and that's why I think a lot of modern people forget about that. They forget how every, most people know exactly where those beam mazes start, and they freeze them and they go through them, you know, and that's that's it. For someone who's never been approached by them, and that was something that came up when the Mega Man Legacy Collection came out. Um, I don't agree with reviewers who were reviewing that uh, based on difficulty because it, it served another purpose entirely. However. There were, I mean, as we get older, we need to remember these reviewers get younger. And there were people who hadn't played these games before, and they were frustrated as shit because they're like, "Oh my god, these are hard as fuck, and they're not fair." But, but to people, I would say, I mean, I don't want to put an age line on it, but there are also a lot of people who've played these games their whole life who still get a challenge out of it, still try to improve their times, still want to do it in one life, but these. These nagging points are no longer a concern to them, so they don't think of that. They've as, mastered it. They don't think of that as something that would completely annoy the shit out of a new uh, a new player. Sure. So I, I gave Mega Man Four a good review in my book. Don't worry. Yeah, that one. That, that's like the worst one too. Is it? I should have got it been harsher. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it, but if, if that's the one where the weapons mean like nothing. If they I mean remember nothing. Correctly. That was the big. The weapons mean. Uh, you don't need to basically use any of the other weapons. You just, use, you just charge the Mega Buster. Konacha37. Pet, why do you love Kitty City so much? As someone who bearing who bearing remembers being in one... Who barely who barely remembers being in one, what made it so special? We have to pre-edit these questions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kitty City, for those uh, Midwest, East Coast, Lionel Kitty City, or Child's World... Um, they were the only other big store competitor in terms of toys to Toys R Us. Yeah, because KB was mall only. KB right? was mall. Yeah. was always mall, mall only, only until they sadly got. I, I shed a tear when they went out of business about what, 2004, 2005. Too, that that was sucked like, so bad. I was like, fuck this. Every time. I was like, fuck this life I'm in. I only. That was I the only KB. place I wanted to go to in most malls. But in Woodward Center, there was two of them. Really? There was one downstairs and upstairs. The mall was so big. And it was like great. That's crazy. It was like a, a double chance. Uh, Menlo Park Mall was only one. <laughs> Um, so Kitty City had a different feel than Toy- Toys R Us was like the GameStop of toy stores. It was the corporate giant. Kitty City, while still a chain, was a much smaller chain. They probably only had about I had the directory store listing out there, by the way, um, from a real store. They only had about thirty stores overall, so maybe thirty to forty. Probably I think it was a thirty. So one or two a state at most. What was the, the other name they used? Because I Child's had, World. Yeah, I had we had that in Buffalo, and I loved that place too. See? So yeah. it was the same thing. So it was more hands on. It just felt more like small store feel, even though it was still a big store. So the biggest example I get into, uh, which still stands up my mind, because honestly I don't remember 
the layout of like I can still tell you the toy layout um, at a Toys R Us, how the Ninja Turtles looked on the shelf when you walked in, where the GI Joes were. I I don't have a good idea remembering how the the toys looked in Kitty City, but I do know how the game section looked. And it was the K. You go on e- uh, eBay, you go on YouTube and look up the KB like Nintendo commercial. And there's the counter. There's a woman in her apron. I own the apron. Um, and you have You've shown that to me. I think that's awesome. And you have um, you have all the you have all the games were on the pegs, on the hang tabs, uh, uh, on the wall in front of you, right in front of you. You can say, "I want that one. I want that one." You yeah, that was a, that was a big difference. I remember that's too. A huge difference. The games actually hung as opposed to the paper slip. You had the person or two behind the counter assisting you on the games. Telling you about the games that was an option. As young as I remember, they were there though. They were there, and you had the M82 demo unit. You can try out the games on the countertop, and you had all the accessories below. You can look at it. It was just a more hands-on feel. Nintendo was co- uh, Nintendo Toys R Us was cold. You had the cold. Uh, you probably remember the lit-up display cases where you couldn't touch or play with them. Mm-hmm. And you had the worst thing of all: those stupid plastic flip things. And then you can see the back information, take out your ticket, pay for the ticket, walk to the back, the fucking vaults in the back where they had the Cabbage Patch Kids and the video games where you retrieved your game after giving them the ticket. I actually kind of have fond, uh, somewhat fond no, memories of that, but the, the, the bigger issue was like with a prison. It. it was like getting your stuff out of, out of prison when you left. I, 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 I loved it when I got a game. I hated it. See now, I remember. See, I remember the the the, the experience that you talk about at Kitty City at Child's World because that's where I got Donkey Kong Classics. And you still remember that? And I, and I like that. Um, but I maybe my 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 memory of Toys R Us is is fond because I bought Mike Tyson's Punch Out there. And it was the first. I think it was the very first video game I bought with my own money. And I remember grabbing the ticket and being excited, and then going to get it. And the reason, and I, you know, you cash out first, and then you give them the ticket. But the reason I remember being excited is actually why that ticket system sucked. And that was because you, all the box fronts were on display, even if there weren't any tickets. Yes. So if you there were an a ex- pouch for the tickets. Yeah, so if you were an excited kid, you'd be like, yeah, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! Oh, fuck, they're you see sold it out. says, sorry, they're all sold out when the, when the last ticket was bought. And they never knew when they were going to restock, and some of those games would take months to restock. And sometimes kids would steal the tickets and bring them home, because those kids were fucking assholes. Right, so there would be... The, and that was something that my, my parents learned early on, was that if there was no ticket in the thing, you go and you ask yes, the people anyways, because so that doesn't that. mean shit. So that was the other reason why I love Kitty City. Because, um, for example, uh, Legend of Zelda, we bought at Kitty City. My, that was one time I remember my dad bought me that and we walked home with it. Mm-hmm. Contra was always sold out at Toys R Us was at Kitty City. Top Secret episode was available at Kitty City. So a lot of these early games I got, I got at Kitty City because they just weren't in stock at Toys R Us. So we went, you know, five miles down the road, six miles down the road to Kitty City. They had them. Right, because no one thought... These were toy stores that people didn't go to. Now, um, unfortunately, that's not, not like Kitty City went out of business. There's a, there's a whole reason why they did that with Lionel selling out the, selling out the train division and everything else. It's a whole oh, other sure. conversation. I'm just saying, like, it, it, was, it was... You know, if, 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 if GameStop is sold out of a video game... What do you do? There's no you, you go to a small place. Yeah. And, 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 and but imagine for, if there was a secondary nation or even half the country chain that was like GameStop but better. Yeah, but but was looked at as or was treated in people's minds as a small time store, so that 
people who knew about it, if you couldn't get something at Toys R Us, the people who did know could go and, 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 and get find what they were looking Just for. Just having an alternative in a co- any sort of competition at all, that was what Kitty City was. Hmm? Besides having awesome commercials with kangaroos and turn that frown upside down. And I have the Christmas poster out there, too, that you've seen in my videos. Yep. All right, let's move on. (laughs) Let's move on. Uh, I'll ask this one. Okay. At Mark underscore Boss, what are your thoughts on Princess Leia's sexy gold Star Wars bikini selling for $96,000? This was an auction. I don't know. Um, I don't really have any thoughts on it. I think that's an absolutely insane amount of money. But it is an icon. I'm not surprised. No, I'm I'm not. Well... It, I guess I'm not surprised. It's still an insane amount of money to look it's at. It's a like, Star holy, Wars holy item yeah. and movie memorabilia. But, I, I mean, my thought is that I guess this is fairly normal because this is where I was going to go. No matter how crazy I think the amount of money is, I, I would never pay that. Uh, it's incredibly iconic of Star Wars. Oh, of course. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else I'm supposed to say on that. I mean, that, that to me it's, makes sense. It's normal. It's the only sexualized part of Star Wars. Out of the entire saga, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's so fondly remembered. It's not like this was a series, especially in the prequels, which are devoid of any real romance or feeling at all, with an awful romantic subplot which destroys it. Um, There's the only time where this this is like I hate to say it, this was the the way that a probably a lot of young kids in the '80s became men was because of this Princess Leia outfit. This is like whoa. This is like. Whoa! It was this is six. This is uh, you know six years later. All of a sudden, I'm a little more grown up, and this is sexy to me now. That didn't happen to me. I was way young. But I'm saying that this was probably this. Could, the guy who bought this, I'm not saying what he's going to do with it, but this could, this could have made him into a man. This you know this sure. outfit. This could be part of it. This is this is like the one and only bit of fan service in the Star Wars saga. So I'm Pretty not. Much. I'm not surprised that people wanted it. I guess I'm not really surprised that people spent the money. I think it's an insane amount of money. I don't know that I'd spend a hundred thousand dollars on any movie prop, but th- I, it, yeah, I mean that's not odd. I mean, maybe he's going to have someone wear it for him. I mean, this is one of the things you go to Comic Con, you go to these conventions. There's always like ten girls in this outfit because again, it's the only really sexualized Star Wars uh, identity there is. You know, mm-hmm. I'm surprised there wasn't an action figure of it back then. All right, I got the next two for you. Since these are mostly for you. Reckless Youth 26. Will Pat ever play his Wii U? I my used to, damn it. No. I was a damn good Mario Kart player back in my day. <laughs> for like a week. <laughs> Two weeks. Okay. And that was good. Um, that was about a year ago. In the fall last year I played. Thereabouts. Early winter. I, I will learn to have fun again once the book is finished. I will have fun. I, I will have to have fun or die trying at some point. I think I want to go on vacation. To, I, I'm trying to talk to going with Frank to go to Italy next summer with me. We should probably film that and make that into a road trip movie. Jesus Frank age. and Pat go to Italy. <laughs> to Italy. He uh, wants to go to Costa Rica uh, for the rainforest. I think that, that'd be a great idea. It's cheap to go to Costa Rica. and They have resorts. We can go to the rainforest. and you know, I, I might think about doing that. That'd be fun. Large bugs. That's a turn off, though, yes. Mm. But get over that. I think you're okay. The bug size of your, of your fist, that's a little scary. Oh, I don't know if I can... They're friendly. That. You just think that bugs are friendly. They don't, they're not going to harm you for the most part. For the most part. For the most part. You get over that and you're fine, uh, but no, I'll play. My, you know what? I have Mario Maker. I have a download code. I have the box copy sitting there. I Did th- you never use it? I don't have time. Oh my fuck! All right, so moving on. <laughs> oh, Dave Van Damme net gets two this week, I guess. 
if someone offered to buy Pat's game collection at market value with one lump cash sum, would he take it? Is it is it tax free? Because <laughs> tax and you're taking off like thirty percent. Remember. Um, well, Jesus Christ! Now it would be approaching six figures because of the two games. It probably probably be around there at that point. Are you uh, including the NWCs? If you include the, if you include the NWCs, you're going into six figures. Probably uh, ba- ba- reaching or barely, probably. All the box games I have, all the box no, systems. You would be, I think you would probably be there. I think I would be there. Um, pro- I, I don't need the money at this point. It all comes down to where you need the money, where you are at your, at your life with. You know. Um, so, come back to me in like three, four, five years. If I moved, if, I, if I'm burnt out, eh, maybe, maybe not. I think I'll always have... Uh, even there are people that have midlife crises and say, I'm going to sell everything off. I don't think I'm that sort of person that would totally go off the deep end, even with a midlife crisis, and sort of just like say, oh, I'm going to you know, just get rid of everything and live as a, a monk somewhere in Tibet. I don't see myself doing that. I say that now, but then who, who knows? If I do live as a monk, though, I'll bring my M82 demo unit with me, though, and then I'll, I'll take the ride with me. Well, I, think you... some... yeah, I think I'm always the type of person to always have a childhood connection. This is where this comes from, childhood connection. This is where this collecting comes from, and fuzzy memories of being in Kitty City. That's the only reason I own that. You know, I wouldn't have went after this as hard as I did if it wasn't for the, the memories of, of the, 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 this, the so vivid in my head. Uh, to much to my detriment of having such vivid memories of my childhood that the feelings of nostalgia that leads to me having all stuff. So to be able to totally get rid of that, I, I, I would need to probably have some sort of psychological break to some extent or something majorly bad happened where I would need $100,000 right, right now you know, to get it. I think you once mentioned to me, I, I don't know what we were talking about or you know, shooting the shit over, but I think you once said that if you were to ever get rid of your collection, you would, fill, you would pick enough games that you love to fill your M82 unit and keep it. And, and I think that's what you said. Um, I, the only reason I bring it up is because you mentioned your M82 unit and you taking it. So I was just, I don't know if you remember that, but I think that's actually what you said was if you had to get rid of it, you would keep or you would keep or rebuy. I mean, you might sell as a complete set, but you would fill your M82 with your favorite games and that's what you would use. But you had no intention of selling. Oh, well, there you go. So uh, we're going to be at a, a gaming expo in Portland. Yes, we are. I have three panels. Ian squeaked by with one. I think we're going to be roommates, I think. We have, we have the confirmation. We so, are roommates, yes. So that'll be fun. So what's the system uh, if I'm hooking up with a girl? Is a sock on the door, or how does it work at a, at a hotel? How's it, I'm not going to be hooking up. I, know, I don't hook up at conventions. I'm a professional. I'm too much professional, I think. I think I'm too much of professional conventions. And I'm going to respect my roommate. It's not like my wife and I are going to be fucking boning. I mean, it's just a fucking I don't know. Convention. Maybe you have, you know, a little bit extra left over from the anniversary. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, I, don't, I, 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 I hate to sound rough here, but if you're in the same room as me, I don't think I could perform. <laughs> it would be like, um, that's a whole other conversation. Yep. That's, I, was, I, was, I was thinking of something that happened in college, but let's that was with my roommate and his uh, his girlfriend being over, but I think most of the time they were good. I think I think a couple of times I might have almost walked in and on, but that's a, a conversation. But not my freshman year, mate. My freshman roommate. We should we should we should do a, a college one at one point. Uh, college see you podcast like freaking hour. My freshman year college roommate was really into Marilyn Manson, and um, was scary quiet. It was cool, but scary quiet to the point where put that with the Marilyn Manson and the fact that he smelled half the time was like they didn't have to worry about that freshman year about him hooking up with someone all their conversation that 
about me and my freshman year. This look. And this has been the CU <laughs> podcast for October seventh, twenty fifteen. I'm, I'm sorry, Chuck, if you're out there. I'm sorry, but you smelled sometimes. I'm sorry. Oh Jesus, fuck. We'll we'll see you in, uh, for the uh, the the retro Fortnite retro gaming expo guided podcast, and we might or might not do one the next week after that, or might take the next week off and do one the twenty eighth. So we'll, we'll definitely have a podcast for you the week, a live podcast uh, that'll come out. will be the week of the 19th or 18th, and then we might have a full one on the 21st. If not, we'll do one on the 28th. We'll see what happens there. It's time for Pat to drive my hammered ass home. No more drunken commentary for tonight. <laughs> we'll see you later.